What's up and welcome Vibe Tribe. It is another fantastic Wednesday night journey. We're going to go on with the Herbal Decoding crew. So I hope everyone had a nice 4th of July or whatever you might do if you live in other countries around the beginning of July. I saw lots of explosions in the sky and I had a lot of good times with family. So pretty charged up and ready for another fun astro herbalism episode. Possibly you know, many people's favorite thing that we do here. <laughs> this is crazy enough. We're on the ninth month of doing these, which means only three to go, maybe four if we toss an Ophiuchus, but I don't want this party to stop. So I'm really glad to see my friends, Mario and Michelle, the M&M power couple. Mario looking fresh. Kyle rocking the tank top as is appropriate for Vibrant. And Emily, Emily Ridout returns. She is tag teaming in for Gabriel, who is on summer vacation doing dad duty. So what up if you're out there, Gabe? Thanks for, you know, your reliable service and enjoy your time off. It's unpaid vacation, but, you know. <laughs> ah, so tonight we're going to be talking about the herbs, and the doctrine of signatures, the things that we can know about cancer season and the plant world, the things that pop up into our awareness around nature at this time of the season, as well as maybe some surprise picks from our master decoders themselves, Michelle and Kyle. What's up, you guys? Welcome, everybody, to the show. Um, let's start with uh, Emily. What, <laughs> what do you think you've walked into here? How have you been? I've been great. Um, I'm stoked to be here with you guys. Astro herbalism is one of my favorite things to get to discuss with people because I'm not an herbalist. And a lot of what I wind up doing is tag teaming with holistic practitioners to do their astrology readings. So it's always such a joy to get to pick apart the plants. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I've got some good mythology to bring to the mix. And we know that the medicinal wisdom, Kyle and Michelle have got that unlock and the cancer symbolism. Well, Mario knows probably more versions of every type of archetype that you could possibly imagine. Kyle, how have you been, man? I hear you just got back from a nice camping trip. Yeah, dude, it was excellent. It was awesome. There was a I was just joking before the show that we've had like a crazy drought here. And so that's one way to dispel the drought is to go camping, at least in my, my life. I, uh, I, I get curious about that because I have this like really interesting, like playful connection that I'm with the weather and stuff like that. So it makes me wonder. But it was there was this crazy, crazy lightning storm for two nights in a row. Uh, body on the ground. I am like, dude, I am charged to the max. I had a lot of like pain and stuff like that uh, prior to this that I've been dealing with for a few months and it's just like magically gone and man I feel great right now and um, yeah the the height of the sun the height of the barbecues the height of the fireworks and it just feels great glad to hear it dude and I hope your family is having as much fun as you appear to be having (laughs) over there (laughs) your giant baby yeah and awesome wife And so, Michelle, Mario, I know that you've been doing a lot of content. Uh, Michelle, especially you, just completely crushing over there at the Healing Home, your semi-new podcast, but you've been so consistent that it's not even all that new anymore. I've enjoyed the last Thursday streams you've been doing as well. So I'd love it if you would uh, 
you know, promote anything that you're happy about that you've done recently, but also tell them about this summer of love series you've been on. Cause that's been very interesting. Yeah. Thanks chance. And what's up everybody. Glad to be here as always. Uh, yeah. So cranking it out, we just continue to go full steam ahead, which has been fun. Um, right now we are working on the summer of love series we, on last Thursday. So Mario and I have a show together. Uh, every Thursday is last Thursday in our house. Uh, so we decided to go with the summer of love to dispel and jump into the 19th 60s and mostly it was inspired by the mythos of Manson because that's been one of my favorite rabbit holes to be down for a long time in the 1960s I resonate with in a lot of ways because I grew up with parents that listened to a lot of music from that era I always wished I had been able to be in that decade but as I look back at things in hindsight now and the things I know what I know now I know that there was a lot of um weird stuff going on um, that uh, we're just trying to expose a little bit more in our own way and talk about it from the standpoint that we know it. So it's been super fun. And uh, I say this like every episode, but don't let her looks deceive you. She's read like every Manson book out there. (laughs) And so it's a uh, huge passion of hers and she's been wanting to talk about it for a little while. So we decided to dive into it, but I'm glad you're liking it, man. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, maybe with the exception of Taurus, uh, you Earth signs, you got a plan for everybody you meet. Maybe you're not serial killers, but you know what you'd do if you had to. (laughs) So not surprised that you're into the Manson literature. So uh, let's uh, let's just go around the horn and talk a little bit about what cancer means to us as a sign. Uh, And I think we'll start with Emily. Whoa, well. Cancer means a lot to me. I actually like the sign cancer so much that I made it my business logo for my personal brand. Um, Cancer is the energy in the Zodiac that's ruled by the moon, right? And in the Zodiac, we have this interesting phenomenon where the signs that are ruled by the sun and the moon are opposite the signs ruled by Saturn, which before we got on, Michelle was mentioning that she and Mario are a Capricorn cancer duo, right? So they're the opposition of a Saturn rolled sign and a lunar rolled sign. And so when we get into cancer, we see the raw light, which is light that is depicted through the essence of reflection, right? So the moon is a more reflective light source energy. And when you have lunar energy, you have access to the reflective light of conscious awareness on the earth plane, right? So that's the light of conscious awareness, which has been refracted and reflected through embodiment. And so this is the light that can manifest in myriad ways, right? It could be your new house. It could be your worst nightmare coming into manifestation. It could be anything, right? Um, And so cancer is the sign in the zodiac, which is depicted by the cardinal energy of water, which is the initiatory energy, which drives us into the thirst for life, right? Um, This is why, you know, we have this sort of energy that is directional and moving towards something. And it's not just moving toward life to experience life, although that's a big piece of it. It's moving toward life through what it cares about and what interests it which is obvious when you think about the cardinal direction, right? Because when you 
go one way, you're not going all the other ways. So you're choosing a direction and you're moving toward what you most desire or what you most want to care for or nurture in your life. And so we see this interesting and you'll see pop culture really ripping cancer energy apart sometimes because they'll say, oh, they are you know, vindictive and, um, you know, vengeful. And you see that about both Cancer and Scorpio. And while those energies can be vengeful, the reason is when you really care about something, right? When it goes well, you care about it, you nurture it. But when people flip out and they enter into their, you know, temporary crazy state that we all could enter at any given point, right? if you're upset enough, then they do sometimes dive into those darker timelines that are a bit more reaching out and vengeful or grasping, right? And it's because cancer energy is the energy that grasps for life. Now, if the life is unlived or the life isn't satisfactory, the cancer energy people will get like stomach aches, their chests will hurt, they won't be able to stand up straight, um, that can be a problem. But for the most part, cancer energy is the energy of the mother and not just the out there imaginary mother, but the primordial mother, right? The first one, and then your literal actual mother, right? Um, and so whatever your relationship is with the person who birthed you. Um, and then one one more thing that I always like to remind people of, we are mammals, Right. Human beings are mammals. A lot of different animals are classified as mammals. The word mammal comes from the word mammary gland, which is ruled by cancer. Um, of course, mammals, we have a couple different things like a diaphragm and, you know, whatever, and we give live birth. But the mammary gland is really the thing that they decided to name those species after because of the way that this energy works. So that's what I have to say about cancer. That was a bit long winded, but. No, it's great. It's why we wanted you on the team. <laughs> so one thing I've observed in cancer season in my tuning work with clients is that there is a much higher likelihood whenever somebody has a, a session with me in this season that their main issue is going to stem to not just mother stuff, but in the womb trauma, which is very hard to identify unless you can kind of start to have somebody look at it and analyze the patterns with you and for you. So that's something I've noticed a lot of makes sense because that's, you know, cancer is kind of like the cavity of the torso, <laughs> you know, the, the, what the opening inside of it, there's the cardinal water nature of the waters in the womb. You know, that's the first waters in many ways. I've noticed, you know, if I were to make a few quick observations about cancer as a sign, it's that they, <laughs> are very interested in comfort a lot of the time <laughs> or, or nice things. Um, not always necessarily needing them to be like Tor, Torian, Torian, Taurus luxury goods, <laughs> right? But nice, comfortable, cozy stuff, which is a womb-like expression. And I've noticed about them as well that they often command a lot of attention to be paid towards them not necessarily like in a baby like they act like a baby but almost in a sense the way that babies just whenever they're <laughs> present all eyes kind of gravitate towards them i've noticed cancer people tend to have sort of a attention magnetism in that way too maybe not quite in the sense of a leo where they take 
charge and they're kind of giving some orders <laughs> while they've got the attention, but they do, you know, they're, they're very fun. If they're comfortable and cozy, you know, they're very fun and uh, sweet, good natured type of sign, deep feelers. <laughs> so those are some of my preliminary observations. I got a few. Can I jump in? Yeah, buddy. Um, so I was just thinking because I was on a walk the other day and I, I went camping in this new part of the state that I'm, that I haven't explored yet before. So just walk in this beautiful park. It's along the river near Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. And uh, there's this little stream that's coming down the side of the rocks. And I had a feeling, just like a feeling. I was like, I think that's a, I think that's a spring. And uh, just, I don't know, the way that it was, the sound of it, the, the ripple of the water. I, I don't know what it was. Uh, but we walked a few more steps and there was a cave and there was like a little placard for the cave. And it was talking about how this cave had was uh, built or, or was like used for uh, storing beer and whatnot. And it was there because of the spring. So my instincts were correct about the spring. And so I, I made me think about the cardinality of directions and how we all we might be. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? imprinted with this these certain directions for cardinal water for cardinal air for cardinal fire and that i was it was just like registering somehow with me i was really proud of my instincts <laughs> i was like way to go i should go take a sip of that water and so when i was thinking about uh that for cancer i was thinking about um uh, the meaning of primary water the first the first water sign coming up bubbling up from the earth having this like um you know, this innocence to it, as you were just kind of describing what you're going on, what you were talking about their chance with this lovely, lovely nature, this nurturing aspect to it as well. And, um, Oh yeah. Cancerian energy is nurturing and likes to be nurtured. It goes both ways. Right. And so we have, we have this water aspect, but then in addition, there is the crab, which has got its armor. And then before the crab, your, your pendant reminds me of the previous uh, ways of describing it, the scarab. It kind of looks like a scarab, your pendant. So scarabaeus, the crab, uh, even has a similar sounding uh, word. You can probably mix that up together, uh, scarab, to get crab. And so you have this outer shell, this uh, protective layer. There's a water. There's, there's this movement between um, protection and uh, this flowing aqueous nature. And so that comes to mind. And that really did come to mind as I was picking out my herbs. And, uh, the other things I was thinking about too, my wife, she's nursing my, our son right now, um, or throughout, you know, <laughs> throughout time and just holding a child next year, you know, bosom and, um, and then what that could mean metaphorically for somebody like, Myself or you, Chance, um, to what, what we hold to our heart, what we're holding or protecting, what we're dealing with while we're the discomfort of a, the squiggling nature of what we're trying to nurture as well. Um, the, the bite marks and everything like that, the slaps you might get from headbutts. It's not all, it's not all lovey dovey all the time. You know what I mean? There's, uh, there's a hardness that comes with nurturing at the same time that I think is worth exploring. And um, uh, there was one last thing. Oh yeah. The constellations that are within the ecliptic of, uh, of this are really, really cool. So to the South, 
we have Argus, which is the arc. And uh, to the north, we have the Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, the pole stars up in there too. So I'll, that's where I'll, I'll leave that one and uh, see, see if anybody else has something to say about that. But that's what I was thinking about cancer, those things. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Awesome, dude. Uh, Emily, I love what you said about the raw lights. Um, there's so much esoteric information out there relating cancer to light, the first light. Uh, this is expressed in Freemasonry. If people want to do follow-up research, um, Royal Arch Freemasonry, the top of the arch, that little wedge at the very top, the keystone oftentimes has the cancer glyph in it and there's light pouring through that keystone when it's removed. So there's lots of cool stuff about light and cancer. Absolutely. And even uh, one of the esoteric names for the chariot card is Lord of the triumph of light as well. So that lines up nicely. Um, But for myself real quick, um, the word emotion to me always comes around during cancer season, emotion, and then you remove the E and you have motion and then you remove the M and then you have ocean. All of these concepts are so baked into cancer and the chariot card. It's completely nuts and crazy. So just thought I would throw that out there as well. Even with the chariot card, which we're going to get into right now, right? The, uh, the wheel, you know, the uh, idea of the wheel of heaven, chakras being wheels, right? Uh, wheels implying uh, movement and journeying and all of these different types of things. And so uh, here we have three different cancer cards. This is the Marseille on the left, and then you have the Rider Waite in the middle, and then you have the Thoth deck on the right-hand side. Um, one of the things you're going to notice that's really fascinating is that there's a tradition of not showing the lower half of the charioteer, and I've gotten into that in a couple of different videos. My understanding is there's this esoteric belief that I've picked up that uh, the charioteer perhaps is kind of a hybrid. And there's this Greek king, his name was Erichthonius, and he had serpent legs. And he invented the, the chariot, supposedly. This is the mythology, at least, right? There's several people who are uh, credited for uh, inventing the chariot. But he invented the chariot so that he can get around. And it was a dual purpose sort of thing. It would allowed him to travel but it also covered up his legs. And so if you look at the two images on the left-hand side, you can see it's like on the left, especially it's almost like he's behind a table, like he's in a booth or something like that at a carnival. And in the middle, you see that the charioteer, he's actually fused into this cubic stone, which is related to the card as well. And so um, there's something to be said about all of this. And even I think Crowley with the card on the right-hand side, To me, I've speculated and I have wondered if uh, his legs are supposed to be serpentine in nature, you know. Um, So that's kind of one thread that I've pulled out over the last few years that I think is really interesting. But the big thing that I always think about with the chariot card is that uh, there are these four posts around him, four posts or pillars, uh, very much symbolic of uh, the fixed signs, the cardinal directions. And uh, I think that. When I see this card, I tend to place the charioteer uh, in the middle of the heavens, in the middle of the cosmos, if you will. And uh, I think that the star on top of his head in the Rider Waite version is the North Star. And so this is the point in the heavens that everything revolves around. Um, it's kind of a tradition with charioteer myths 
um, that the charioteer be pulled by maybe four horses, each one representing the four elements. That's kind of what Crowley's doing on the right hand side. And uh, he himself would be the fifth element. He would be spirit, you know, or ether. And so kind of related to the human body, our head, right, is like the fifth appendage that controls all of the other limbs. And so I think uh, there's metaphors with all of that that you can kind of unpack and everything else. Um, But yeah, uh, the other thing I would say, too, that I think is really fascinating about the chariot card is that there's also a tradition that pretty much implies that this chariot is actually not going anywhere, that it's immobile, that it's motionless. Um, And so even if you look on the left hand side, those wheels are sideways. So you literally cannot move. Um, And then in the middle, or actually with all the cards, you know, none of those animals are actually connected to the chariot. There's no reins, right? And so to me, it kind of implies like this inner movement, this inner journey, I kind of think of a whirlpool or I think of a chariot wheel actually just kind of spinning. Right. And that that hub right in the middle is essentially stationary. And so to me, that's kind of a fun thread uh, to kind of pull at and just consider this idea of a motionless chariot. And without the reins being attached to the horses or the sphinxes or whatever they might happen to be kind of makes me think of cancer's position adverse to Capricorn that there's something about the cancerian energy that doesn't do well with like, you know, authoritarian (laughs) or like following someone else's rules. You know, they can be sensitive to being uh, reprimanded, (laughs) you know, by a cancer or a Capricornian or Saturnian energy. I found that there's uh, again, in this time of year with tuning people that sometimes Capricornian themes come up adversarial, like knee stuff or, Issues with lead toxicity, things of that nature. It's good stuff, though, Mario. Awesome. Thanks, man. Um, And then just related to Capricorn real quick, there is this old belief that cancer was the gateway of man and Capricorn was the gateway of the gods. So we would come through cancer, exit through Capricorn, um, which kind of relates to some of the uh, Freemasonic stuff I was alluding to earlier. But there is this from Freemasonry and from other places, too. There's this idea that cancer is at the top of like the firmament or the top of an arch or the top of a dome which is why i think it's interesting that in the middle card you have that arch on the top of the uh charioteer's head with that star right and so it's almost kind of like the hole or the point of pivot within the firmament the dome of heaven and so um that's an interesting thing absolutely so coming through that hole or portal and then when we exit this plane we're actually going through the ground is one way of looking at it but uh, that shape uh, is called a kyborium and they have it in a lot of churches and cathedrals as well yes yes absolutely yeah 100 percent, exactly um but as Kyle was saying earlier, he mentioned Ursa Major and Ursa Minor being further north in the northern sky. And uh, it's so appropriate to talk about because this is the seventh card of the Major Arcana. And Ursa Major and Ursa Minor each have seven stars. And so um, to me, that is not a coincidence. Also, Ursa Major and Minor, the Great Bear and Little Bear or the Big Dipper and Little Dipper, um, they've been known as wagons and chariots as well. So that's kind of this common sort of idea that they're very much related to the wheel of heaven spinning in the sky. So I think a lot of wheel of heaven symbolism 
basically is encoded into this card. And if there's going to be a point of pivot in the heavens, it would be the pole star. Yeah, it's that's really interesting because we have, in addition to the solstice, which is, you know, the summer solstice having that pivotal point top the the heavens in the like a heliocentric cosmology. We also have that polar portion as well. But it but you know we can make up calendars just like the Pope did or whatever and and in the sign of cancer, what it doesn't matter where you start your year, I guess if you start it with uh the solstice and the other solstice, or if you start it with the New Year's Day, um the Within the sign of Cancer, I believe it's July second is the day which is equal uh, 181 days or something like that. 182. That just came into my consciousness recently because of the, the weird uh, esoteric psyop ritual uh, submarine thingy, which was total charioteer magic in my mind. And uh, somewhere in that story, there was like something about a one of the guys going to like a blank 182 concert. And I was like, why would that number be in there? So I just thought about one, that number and wow, it's like right there in the middle of the, I think it's, you know, a couple of days ago. So here we are. And also in that, that uh, tilting point, if you will, where, where, um, where, you know, we have on one side, one Sphinx and another Sphinx on another side, it's actually not moving anywhere. It's just, it's all moving above us. It's not actually going forward or or backwards as this uh a charioteer would suggest you know I think that's really interesting nice yeah go ahead oh i i just love everything you guys are saying about these chariot cards i was wondering if i might add a bit about a couple of them um first of all the they all as you noted mario lack they don't have physical reins, right, to rein in the sphinxes or the horses. And the tradition actually teaches that the reins are invisible because the reins are controlled by the mind. Um, the other really cool thing that I wanted to add to already the great information you guys were sharing is that unanimously in various traditions with various decks, they name this card the chariot, not the charioteer, even though the charioteer appears to be the central character. And the reasoning behind that is that the chariot is actually of the utmost importance. And so what's hidden in the symbolism here is the symbol of Saturn, right, which is cube, right, um, as well with the rider weight, especially, and well, all of them have um, harken back to the Kabbalists, right? And so when we're looking at the cube of Saturn, we also have to look at the cube of space and that reasoning behind that cosmology, which if anyone doesn't know what the cube of space is, who's listening to us right now, it's, it's, um, a cube that shows the different pathways of the tarot to reach particular ends in your pathways of consciousness. So, so the chariot is there as the cube of space, but then we see even further that the charioteer, as you noted, represents victory, right? That's what this, um, these cards represent. The primary theme of consciousness is the capacity and not the capacity even, but the inevitability of victory of the higher self. And so the charioteer is pictured as the higher self. We have all these wonderful 
you know, metaphors. I do yoga, so I love the Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita story that where Krishna is the charioteer who gives the answers to the universe, to Arjuna, the warrior that he is driving. Um, But really, when you think about driving someone or something, you are in charge of that. And so it's the understanding that we are, in a certain sense, surrendered to the higher self. But in another sense, um, the Hebrew letter associated with this, and please forgive me because my Hebrew is not not good. I think it's chesed. Am I saying that right? But the meaning of the Hebrew letter is fence, right? Enclosed space. And so when we look at that, and um, they've listed that in the um, in the Thoth deck that's over there on the far right, when we think about the fenced space and we see the fence and the rider weight, of course, with the white and the gray and the uh, red roofs, right, which are showing us the nature between purity, embodiment and desire, right? We have this idea of the closed off space or the enclosed space, which is the understanding of embodiment itself. And when you are birthed through Cancerian energy, you enter into this space, which is that Saturnian space of embodiment, structure and limitation, right? Symbolized by the fence, the box, the chariot. But then we realize that anything is actually possible through the pathway of the suggestible influence of the higher consciousness into the lunar principle consciousness, which is the the subconsciousness, which builds and creates reality. And so I just wanted to throw that in and and also maybe mention that there's a lot of symbols of the unification of the masculine and feminine, also bringing up birth and embodiment and the unification of humanity beyond just the sexual act itself or the procreative act. And also you guys were mentioning um, wheels and the wheel of fortune and I don't spend a ton of time with the Thoth deck, but I love how in the Thoth deck, there's this wheel here that the disc looks a lot like, well, not only do they call pentacles discs in the Thoth deck, right? Throwing back to the earth element, but the disc there actually looks a lot like the wheel of fortune, whose um, planet association is Jupiter, who is exalted in the sign of cancer um, and who is exalted in the chakra associated with cancer. So there's, there's just so much cool stuff there. And that's what victory actually looks like on the yogic path, right? Is the awakening and opening in, in that cancer associated space. Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Um, actually um, the creator of the deck, uh, the Thoth deck he says that that's a spinning wheel of amethyst and that it's sorry, excuse me. It's a spinning grail of amethyst and that that's a drop of blood apparently within that grail. So there's actually some Holy grail symbolism, I think attached to this card, which people who follow my work won't be surprised to hear me say that I associate that with the North. I I think it's a polar symbol, the Holy grail, you know, but it's, there's an inner correspondence with this as well um, as is the case with all polar or, northern symbolism that i point out um but yeah the, also the, the uh the kyborium above the charioteer is that word is shared with the eucharist vessel that is like a a uh goblet or a grail so nice. in a way like it's dual symbol that the idea the idea of this four-posted you know 
roof over the charioteer is also the idea of the Eucharist uh, grail or bowl. There you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And then also, I just wanted to point out about the uh, Hebrew letter. So meaning fence, right? Uh, I've also heard the interpretation of it being canopy, which is really appropriate, which is really interesting, too, because it's like a traditional Jewish thing to be married under a canopy with four posts. So anybody can kind of Google that and check that out for themselves if they would like. And so it fits in line with the artwork here. But this idea of fence or canopy, it reminds me so much of the firmament. And so uh, kind of going back to this dome of heaven or vault of heaven sort of idea or concept, I think that's ultimately, you know, what they're showing with the fabric up top being supported by the four posts, which would be the four pillars that hold up the vault of heaven is is kind of one way of looking at it. The four corners of earth. Right. Um and then also kind of related to the Jewish thing, too, uh, there's a whole line of mysticism called Merkaba mysticism, which is essentially chariot mysticism. And it's this idea that our uh, light body or etheric body is something of a chariot, pretty much. Right. And that we travel within this chariot and we are the drivers of this chariot. Um, but you're totally right that the power of the chariot itself over the charioteer, there's a lot to be said about that in and of itself, for sure. Good stuff. You may, Emily, what you you're just bringing the gravy. It's so it's really so nice to talk to you. Well, you one of the things that you mentioned was the reins controlled by the mind, and it reminded me of. Um, uh, let me just channel Gabe here for a second. The territories, territories. So I live in an area that's liminal between Gemini in the Twin Cities and the Chariot Land, which is. Detroit area. So just in that space as well is where um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow uh, depicts Hiawatha, the hero in the story, in the epic poem, the, the Song of Hiawatha. And there's this one little stanza here that I'd like to read. Is, it, it goes like this. Paddles not. He's, he's making a canoe. But he, he's asking the birch and all the, all the cedars and all these things of the canopy, by the way, for to lay down their... Uh, their stuff so that he can construct a, uh, a birch bark canoe. And it says paddles, none had Hiawatha paddles, none he had or needed for his thoughts as paddles served him and his wishes served to guide him swift or slow at will. He glided veered to right or left at pleasure. And that just, that just reminded me so much of those cards too. And um, thanks so much for bringing that up. Emily. Beautiful. I have a deck where the chariot card is called the canoe. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice. Oh, actually, it's right here. Uh, oh, that's perfect. That is perfect. We're going to riff on I love that. it. I love it. So what are those animals cool. on there? Are those geese? They are. There's a bald eagle and some orcas. And a, is that a salmon? I think it's a salmon. I'm not a fisher. And so I feel like it's always appropriate to bring up, but just to uh, remind people, you know, the travel symbolism, there's so much overlap with the chariot, with the boat, with uh, even the camel or the horse as well. And so these are all journey symbols. And um, from my perspective, one of the ultimate journeys is, is the journey 
um, beyond life after death, you know, and so a lot of ancient cultures have made a thing about associating these different vehicles, these different ways of getting around and traveling to the underworld and going to the other side, if you will. And so the chariot is definitely part of that tradition and, and the canoe and the ship as well, for sure. There's also a deep contemplation in these traditions about, and you hear human mothers talking about this a fair amount, or at least I do <laughs> for some reason. But uh, when when you give birth to a human child, um, many people undergo a shift in their consciousness because they realize that by giving birth to a mortal life, they have just basically signed a guarantee of death. Does this make sense, right? Mortal birth, mortal death. You come naked, you go naked. And so um, there's this there's this connection of motherhood, which is Cancerian in nature, with, we think of it with birth and with nurturing and with moving toward life, with this, which is what it is, right? But on the other hand, there's an energy connected to the energy of death. Right, which is more associated with Scorpio, and we see that Scorpio is actually associated with regeneration and rebirth. Um, but the very act of birth puts you on one side of this spinning wheel, right, in the life that guarantees the death. And you see that. See that. It's also like, it's also like travel, but also being at home, right? Because Cancer is associated with the home, so it's almost like, are you at home? anywhere you are, right? How did you wind up here in this life? What is home? That's a really interesting point. And you also guarantee not just the death of the life you're bringing in when you have a child that they're mortal, but death of all the life that is required to sustain that life. It makes me think of the, so we were just looking at those chariot cards and the hey or the het letter that is on there also looks like a not just an archway but a doorway which i've heard being associated with the archway that the uh the blood had to be painted on to avoid for passover to avoid the angel of death you know so that's very symbolic of what we're talking about here that so you know life requires some death to exist it's true if you want to get into like what the charioteers are always wearing too, a lot of what the canopy symbolism is imparting on people is the understanding that the charioteer, and you'll see in the rider weight, he has the victory wreath and then he has the stars and then he has the stars above him, the moons, the happy, sad moons, right? Tragedy, comedy, and then actually a brass I think, is it brass or bronze? It's associated with cancer there. But we see gold and silver as being really key to this, indicating both the lunar capacity and the solar capacity. But with those stars, it's indicating that all of the power coming in is actually cosmic power and cosmic forces, which is why it's not um, dependent upon the chariot or the human being to do all the work. You have to participate, of course, and let the charioteer stand in you. But as long as he's directing you, your victory is inevitable. Of course, these things look at a longer term goal, like multiple lifespans. So sometimes we fail along the way. Um, but I always think about that and the nature of 
the metals that he's adorned with, as well as the colors that they've chosen for the sleeves and the canopies, because it's a very, um, it's very, and it's hearkening back right to the high priestess card because they chose the high priestess colors as the canopy. Um, and of course, usually there's a river behind the chariot, at least in certain decks that you'll come across. And so you see the high priestess's robe, which is all the water in the tarot flowing right through this. And that's the boundary you have to cross is the mastery in order to master and use the raw primordial esoteric water. Right. And so. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. Um, the lunar solar thing, just real quick, uh, Leo is right after cancer, which is ruled by the sun. And so there's a lot to be said about the lunar solar connection with cancer and the chariot card. Absolutely. And then uh, I really like your point regarding death, too. And along my research travels, I came across an old quote that supposedly was mentioned uh, in regards to uh, charioteers and the chariot. But it's that the uh, the path of the chariot is the path of death. As as kind of exactly what you're saying and what you guys are bringing up here. Um, but here are some correspondences for cancer from my elemental study packet. Um, I don't know if we need to go through everything, but uh, maybe if you guys want to study it. What do you think, Chance? Do you think we could just blow through these so we can get to the herbs? Yeah, I think we can just blow through them. You know, the last yeah. thing I'll say about the, uh, the path of the chariot being the path of the death, though, is... In that interesting 180-degree relationship it has with Capricorn... The thing about a chariot is it feels like you've got freedom when you've got a car or a vehicle of some kind. But there is also the fact that that chariot can only run on predetermined tracks or that canoe can only float on the river. And that river is only a road that it, you know, that it already is. You, you don't get to change. You don't really have the same amount of freedom as it might look like. You know, you have freedom within the confines of this course. And that course is the course of nature, the course of life, you know, birth, aging, death, all of that. So uh, <laughs> the frustration, I think that that Cancerian energy can sometimes feel at the being put on being kept on the bounds of that track. But it's also for, you know, it's for the good, ultimately, because things need to operate in a certain process. Dude, absolutely. And this just reminds me too of the fact that the planets are on tracks as well, right? In in their own way. And the luminaries have been looked at as chariots for a very long time. And so there are lots of examples of Saturn and Jupiter and all the planets basically being their own chariots, being pulled by the animal that they're most um commonly associated with and so to me that's very very interesting so the stars and the planets have been likened to chariots for a very long time and even their cycle has been compared to a wheel or a chariot wheel as well so just thought i would throw that out there um but anyways people can screenshot this if they'd like and study it and then um actually i think there was another one before this but maybe we just cruise through that real fast it's no big deal though yeah it's just the general water Yep, yep, 100%. So uh, you get the idea. Lots of correspondences here. If people are interested in this, uh, they can message me and uh, I can get it to them. Yeah, let's break into some herbs. I think that uh, 
<laughs> as is tradition, we may we go about 45 minutes before we start actually talking about plants. Fun. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I'll start here. This is uh, some linden. This is also known as basswood. Here's let, let me start the story. Actually, I was take just a few minutes before we got on live. I was taking my dog for a walk. Just got back from this trip, right? And there was a big, huge storm here today, and lots and lots of rain. Uh, flood mythology is going to play into this weave here in a second, but um, <laughs> blew off. This is all right. My my town is just populated with linden it's everywhere and it just blew off all of these flowers these linden flowers from the trees and it was epic it was so nice to see linden all around the ground so that you can just like grab it like as much as you wanted like this and just harvest a ton of it just right on the ground and bring it back to the dryer so that was really cool just walking around barefoot on this linden before talking about it now um it's a tree and it's a really beautiful beautiful lunar tree it it is so because once the sun starts to go down the flowers the scent of the flowers are just they have this intoxication to them and if you're walking around you're like where is that coming from you might be looking this way you might be looking that way but they're actually above you and so it's like it's it's this uh it is a really interesting lunar thing where it's this uh omnidirectional type of presence where it's not like pointed where you can uh, narrow in on it like you can with a lot of other plants and so i think that i think of that sense in particular like the way that the way that a plant can smell has that lunar quality and this one does for sure especially because it has the signature for smelling better at nighttime um the the flowers also have this moon cream color to them and the whole flower is the so you you see the 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 basic tree leaf and then you see this like narrow leaf and then you see like a a bunch of little flowers that come off of that and um so that to me always looks like a little canoe i always think of this as like a little passenger ship (laughs) if you will um that's how the linden flower appears to me so it's really cool and then all right uh, the word uh, linden, the word basswood, these are Antilia cordata, the cordage. All of this is related to basket making. So this is a weavy plant. We can weave in many directions with this one. So, yes, the reason why is because some wood, some wood is like trees are, are hard and some are soft. And some, like this tree, which is formerly a member of the marshmallow family, has a lot of mucilage and slime, which gives it this this watery motion to it, but also this hardness, this hard component. So I have a, a demonstration of mucilage here. I got this is marshmallow, this marshmallow water powder that I put into some water, and as you can see, it becomes really, really, really viscous. And I got one cup to another here, and it just like look how goopy it is. It's just like super duper goopy. So when I'm talking about mucilage, I'm talking about goo. I'm talking about a really structured water. A lot of these like um, interesting water structuring devices uh, make the water gooey. When Jared Pollock is describing the fourth phase of water, when he's describing the, um, the exclusionary zone, he describes it as a gel. So when I'm thinking about the plants for cancer, I'm thinking about plants that can become gelatinous in um, an aquas, like when you make them into an aquas preparation, like a tea, 
or they are already in that suspended, <clears throat> excuse me, the suspended state of like structure of that goo. So that's one of the, the, the things that I'm thinking about. Um, um, let's see, basket making, weaving, linden, the word linden is a really interesting word. Um, that I think it, it it can go in a lot of directions. It reminds me, I think that it's referenced in Lord of the Rings, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Chance? In the Middle Earth map, the far like northwest region, that does seem to be corresponded to like where the UK would be, is called Linden. It's not really a major part of the actual storyline of the Lord of the Rings books proper, but yeah, it's in there. Linden. London, Linden, London. Right. So in this picture on the right, there's tons of mythology about the, about Linden also. It's a, is it the, the fairy or the elf realm? I mean, it's the elf realm. Um, no, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it's elves living there. Yeah. They, they're like ship builders. They're sort of guardians of the gateway across the Western ocean to the undying lands. Can't remember the name of the elf king, but you know, <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty good though at uh, Lord of the Rings lore. I, if it, I don't know if Tolkien was inspired by this or if this is just a green language thing that just kind of comes up, but in the picture on the right here, I'm showing there is a tilia tree, the linden trees are really famous for these little suckers that come out. So you have this big old massive tree. This is why I think it's really, this is going to be, I'm setting up some polar symbolism here. You got this massive tree in the center, and then all of these, these little suckers that start to move around it in a perimeter. And after a couple decades, two, three decades, that central pillar tree disappears, and it's, it's gone. It, de- it dies because all of the energy is sucked out from, from this uh, peripheral suckers, right? And so now you have this like empty space, and there's all of these, and then the same pattern will continue. You have this ring, and then around those will, will multiply. And so uh, an arborist taught me this, that there's this phenomenon called a linden ring or a linden circle. And I haven't been able to verify it because if you type in linden circle into Google, it's just got a bunch of like real estate listings for like a, a cul-de-sac or something like that. But uh, basically what happens is you can walk into the woods at this particular and there will be a circle of these trees as if it's like um, <laughs> this council of trees, the circle of council of trees. And I think that is one of the reasons why in Germanic tribes and Germanic uh, history, this tree has an association with justice. And in fact, there's like a, a, there's particular um, Germanic trees named after Tilia trees that are that were the town's tree, like the, the, the tree in the center of the town that all of the justice and the commerce and the, um, you know, the, the gavel would drop. Yeah. This is in Dresden, Germany. There's a huge linden tree there that is potentially as old as a thousand years. And uh, there's, here's an image of it from, well, no, this is from like 1840, but the, the oldest depictions of it in art are going back to like 1750. And, (laughs) <laughs> just, it's so gnarly looking. Uh, awesome. So if you're ever in Dresden, check that out. It survived the uh, fire bombings, apparently. That's awesome. So how polar is that? Like your central access where you have your market, you have your, you have your justice, you have the decision between the cutting between the two parts of the year, all of these things, Cancerian. 
and then um, above, right? And then below, as in below the ecliptic here in the arc, the Argos, everything's riding on this little, what looks like a little vessel, a little canoe. And so that's all really interesting external fun things that I love about learning about plants. The, uh, when you take it into your body, though, when you make a tea with linden, it has that beautiful aromatic quality that I was uh, describing earlier. Aromatics have this way of moving your mind, moving your senses. And in the case of linden, it is very dispelling of anxiety. It's comforting. That mixed with the mucilage, mixed with the soft amount of mucilage that it has, um, is really, really comforting to the chest and not just the chest. And it, it flowers in July, right? It flowers in cancer season. It flower, yeah, it's flowering right now. It's uh, right outside my door. And, um, well, they're on the ground now, thanks to the storm. Uh, Thor! But um, thanks to the harvest, Thor. It was really easy that way. I don't have to reach up. Um, but, yeah, this, this, uh, this mucilage coming in, it, it's particularly fond of the lining of the lungs particularly fond of the pericardium of the heart, of the stomach. Um, th- this idea of like mucilage as a container of, of, uh, of liquids is uh, conducive to the Chinese model of where the spleen, which is another cancerian organ over here on the left side. And um, Kyle, in, uh, in China, with, they don't have a Bodhi tree. So their Buddhism makes the linden tree the enlightenment tree. Right. And you know why? Because the leaf looks enough like the Bodhi tree. So they're like, ah, good enough. And that's why that that's why the Chinese use the linden tree as their holy tree, as their world tree. And um, yeah. And so uh, in the spleen is representative of like containment containers, all this stuff, containing all this stuff. And so I love linden tea as an uh, is a great cooling herb. It's a great cooling anti-inflammatory. It's cooling to the chest. It's cooling to the flu, uh, diaphoretic. But also, in the, along with the idea of that, even in Italy, there's places where it's like planted in the, the center of the town. And if, you ever, if you've ever gone to like a, a town meeting or a town hall, I think it would be really, really wise for the preparers of the town to plant linden trees around because it has this softening, intoxicating effect. And if you've ever gone to a town meeting, they're always like, oh, I'm going to, if, you know, one more thing goes wrong, I'm going to hang you or I'm going to put you, bring you to the gallows or something like that. So people can get really pissed off. So it makes, it makes a lot of sense to have like, oh yeah, let's just soften, soften them up a little bit, but also consuming this tea for something that you got to get off of your chest with emotion, not like the logical Gemini, uh, I got something to say. Um, there's other herbs that are better for that, and we can uh, rewind a, a month, and you can listen to that vibrant about that. This is more for that guiding. I have something to get off my chest that is emotionally that I need to emotionally guard. That has this watery component to it as well. And um, um, so, so oh. you think it would help somebody that's maybe built up a lot of like plaque or or unhelpful structure in the lungs around repressing sad type emotions totally because it's because if you have uh if you have the energy of hot they can like bake on uh they can bake on the 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 mucilage and bake on the the water is part of the of these parts of our body that like to be wet right um so if there's a component of heat that could also be emotionally like anger not being able to say or it could be the the lack of that flow let's say again like the the 
um, spring that's flowing forth, like bring a little bit more um, movement from that spring because of the, the, the mucilage. So I was having a little meditation today at 420 precisely, and, and don't get any wild ideas. It just was funny that to me that it was at 420. But um, Oh, you do have long hair. I was thinking about, yeah, I was taking bong rips of uh, linden tree. And anyway, I was, I was thinking in my mind about um, the muco lining, the linings of our gut, all of our mucous membranes, and how they are the mediator between our microbiome, this like other world, and then like what we bring into our body, what we bring into ourselves, passing through our second gut in the stomach, passing through as we inhale like this, the air also has to like uh, move through this aqueous layer that's protecting the lungs. It has to, uh, emotions have to move through this aqueous uh, mucilage that is uh, in order to get into our heart space. And so I was thinking about, what about the, the word, uh, instead of um, the mucus membranes, what about like Moses membranes where it's got this like mediator component to it um, <laughs> instead of uh, instead of like the mucopolysaccharides or um, mucilaginous herbs I'm going to start calling them mosilaginous herbs because they have that way of helping with the mediation between between the two worlds and so yeah this is the plant that that's also- interesting so here's how Tolkien used it <laughs> In a way, can I just tack on? You wanted me to bring in Tolkien, right? I wanted you to bring in Tolkien. Bring it. Okay, so he he had this poem that was titled something about the leaves of the linden tree, and he wound up repackaging that poem and making it part of a larger epic poem called the Lay of Luthien, or the Lay of Baron and Luthien. So if you remember in the Fellowship of the Ring, when they're Aragorn and the hobbits are around the campfire and he starts like singing a song about an elf princess and they're like, what happened to her? And he's like, she died. But that song is about, you know, going between the worlds, the elf princess and the human hero man being having a Romeo and Juliet type story. But so there's one way that Tolkien worked in the linden leaf in that. That symbolism was a part of that poem or that lay. So I believe, so I've been to, um, what's it called? The Stone Circle in Avebury in, in England. And this is where Tolkien did a lot of his, uh, let's, they, they, their claim is like, this is where he sat and did all of his writing. And so because of that, there's this, there's this tree that a lot of people visit and they call it a wishing tree. And this tree, it's a group of trees. It's a group of like two or three trees and they have this epic root system and everything like that. And it's on the hill and there's the stone circles. There's all the sheep. Those are linden trees. So it has this, uh, I know that when, uh, when Tolkien was doing some writing, he was inspired by the linden because he was sitting under one. <laughs> so I think that's really cool that you uh, brought that into it as well. Good stuff, man. Uh, so other other comments, guys? Um, I'm so thrilled that you brought up something related to marshmallow because for, I'm not an herbalist, but for some reason, when Chance emailed me and asked me about this, I was like, I wonder if we'll talk about marshmallow because of its soothing effect on the stomach. And because at one point I was in like a tarot thing and there was a woman there who was an herbalist and she had an herbalism tarot deck. And I remember she pulled a card and I was like, I know what that card means, but why is it marshmallow? And Spoiler they had, alert, marshmallow is in the slides later. 
Well, you said Lyndon was connected to marshmallow and yeah, yeah. marshmallow in your glass. And I was like, I wonder if we're going to have a marshmallow time. So I yep. just personally tickled. Get your skewers ready, folks. We're going to, we're going to, there's more marshmallow on the way. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, I love all this stuff uh, that you're bringing, Kyle. And the linden tree, uh, I always think of bees when I think of linden. Because when uh, in our old neighborhood, there was a huge linden tree. And in the summer, in July, when I would walk past it, that thing was just filled with bees. Like to the point where you're underneath it and it's so calming. They're, they're, they're very calming in their nature, their, their vibration that they put out. And so it's really interesting to me that they're so attracted to the linden and you would like look up and it was like a colony of bees and it was actually really just really stunning. And so the, it goes along with like kind of the enlightenment thing, levitation, I think of. Um, and I love the softening that comes with linden, like you were saying, the opening of the, uh, the emotional side of things. So, and I, it, this is a lovely herb. It's, great for tea but it's also great as an herbal infusion so like steeping it for a longer time so when you make an infusion uh the difference between that and a tea is literally just the steeping time and the amount of herb that you're using so taking one ounce of linden to 32 ounces of water steeping that for four to eight hours and then straining it and drinking it and you're going to be getting like a really really strong infusion that you can you know drink over the course of like a few days or something you could use it as a wash for your skin or your hair or you know you could use it to anoint certain tools that you're working with something like that so i had to bring up the bees with this one because uh that's like one of my fondest memories of walking in our old neighborhood in the summer was going to the linden tree and, and then smelling it and then seeing and hearing and feeling the bees. Also, uh, we had s'mores the other night. <laughs> we did. <So> that is all. <laughs> the, yeah, the bees are, that's the, that's the other way to find it. Where's that smell coming from? And then you could find the bees. If you find basswood honey, that's what linden, linden honey is. It's basswood honey. And of course, we can't get away from the, you opened up a can of bees on that one. We, we got to talk about the beehive asterism which is in the sign of cancer and so that that's a really uh that's really relevant too obviously so the bees as uh muses in greek mythology as these intermediaries between worlds as well they have like a mercurial aspect they go into their little hole what's going on in there it's a whole nother city um <laughs> you know and they're they're buzzing around but bees as we know they have um they have like the cancer, the crab, they have their um, exoskeletons, they have their um, weapon weaponry that, that if you get too close to their mother, their matriarch, but they also have this nurturing aspect, the sweetness that might even be the nectar of the gods itself, right? The honey, um, the nourishment, the thing that adds that nourishment to the tea. And so great point. With uh, Michelle bringing up the nourishment of linden, that's to me that's the the best way of working with linden is just making a tea, like you said, an infusion, something that is going to bring out that nutritive aspect and uh, nourish your skin, nourish your bones, nourish your gut, nourish your your lungs and your emotions and all that stuff in particular. So, thanks for bringing that up. Right, and uh, to your point, just real quick, that wedge, the keystone wedge in the middle and the top of the arch of the Royal arch 
sometimes has the cancer glyph inside of it. Uh, sometimes has the, the Hebrew letter that we were just talking about. Ket. Um, sometimes it has an actual little beehive inside of it as well. And I think it's alluding to that asterism that you just brought up, which is pretty cool. A couple of mythological. I'm sorry, go ahead. A couple of mythological appearances of Linden. One that I think is the most interesting is in the story of Siegfried from the Germanic tales. He is basically like the uh, Achilles of their mythological cycle. And if you recall, Achilles is invulnerable because of being dipped in the river or dipped in something. I can't remember exactly what but he's dipped in something that makes him invulnerable. But just his heel is still sticking out. So that's his weak spot. Siegfried has a, a similar thing happen. He's bathed in the blood of a dragon to gain invulnerability. But he did not realize he had a linden leaf stuck to his body. And that was the spot where the blood didn't touch. So he has a vulnerability point. I think that's kind of, you know, fitting and interesting in the Cancerian part of this because, you know, invulnerability, the, the shell, <laughs> the crab shell, that's all in the mix. Um, many people are also turned into linden trees in mythology that I could find. Uh, Ovid makes uh, a story about that where Bacchus and Philemon, not Bacchus the god, but uh, they're characters that were just mortal humans, a couple, and the uh, the female of that couple was turned into a linden tree after Zeus and Hermes were visiting their village somewhere in Phrygia, and they were the only ones who showed hospitality or like nurture or gave comfort, right? So she gets turned into a linden tree for that and um interesting point from herodotus that he says the scythian um, magi would wrap linden leaves around their fingers to do their laying on hands their their hand waving and you know magic hands <laughs> jazz hands juju <laughs> um and then finally the last one i i could look up was regarding Chiron. You know, the wounded healer, his mother, much like a, much like Adonis's mother, turned into a tree after giving birth to him. And I think Chiron is a older savior archetype, older solar, like son of God type deity that then gets sort of shifted mythologically later on by the Greeks. But very interesting. And we had a president named Lyndon, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weird one. <laughs> Lyndon B. Johnson, was he the one who would call his staff in while he was pooping? Do you guys know this story? <laughs> no. He was proud of his um, anatomy. And so he, it was like a power move to intimidate his staff. Is I think this was this was in his biography. I didn't read it, but uh, Google Google search were, confirms weird power move. Weird power move. Anyway, that's all I know about him. That's a president. That's a great legacy. Yeah. <laughs> Lyndon B. Oh man, we got a lot out of the uh, the the Lyndon though. That was good. 
Well, and here we are with another tree, Willow. And, you know, uh, Kyle bringing up the flexibility of the linden and it being used for weaving. Willow is famously known as a weaving tree. So you can make all sorts of stuff from Willow. Uh, Brooms and baskets, tools, great for making fencing, actually, as well. So there you go with the fence again, creating that shell, creating some sort of boundary. You know, willow, this one here, this is a weeping willow, but there are a lot of different types of willows. But I chose this photo just because of how close it is to the water. It's almost like wanting to dive in. And willows, one of the things about them is that they do love water so much that, you know, if you have a willow tree like in in a city, sometimes it can cause problems because they'll actually seek out water pipes and things like that and it's even happened where the roots will maybe like bind themselves around a pipe and it's almost like they energetically know there's water in there or something or perhaps they could crush the pipe with their roots you know not entirely sure about that but with the whole water thing going on there these these trees are actually prone to rotting and so a lot of times they'll rot rot actually from the inside out and it's really interesting because we actually have a willow that's right next to our house and that exact thing is happening to it and um one of the things with willow too is that it's usually associated with death and rebirth. So it's kind of interesting that it has this tendency to be in these underworld sort of realms, the realm of death, the realm of rot, uh, the realm of water, which is very intuitive and changing and flexible. And that's another like doctrine of signature with the willow is that it's flexibility. Um, and that can go into the medicine of it too, because a lot of times it's used to reduce inflammation. Um, And then up on the screen, you can see I labeled it witch's aspirin because that's actually a nickname for it. And a lot of people know that uh, willow is kind of the original aspirin. Um, And I believe it's pronounced, uh, yes, it it contains salicin. So the salicin is what is actually bringing the pain relieving aspects to everything. Um, And and the bearer, company actually did use willow originally to create aspirin. So it's just kind of interesting and interesting weave too of just how the pharmaceutical companies are always after the plants. It always goes back to the plants usually and the trees. And this is where they're finding these remedies. And so, um, that's just something to keep in mind with it. Uh, it's a diaphoretic. And what a diaphoretic is, is it's a, that is an herb or a tree or a plant that will make you sweat. Or if you have a fever and you're wanting to encourage the fever so that you can, you know, move through it, uh, willow could be a really good, um, ally for that. All right. And I was recently, it was brought to my attention. The word ally has been like hijacked by like the liberals. So I'm trying my best to not use the word ally. <laughs> I had to me, it makes so much sense for, for uh, plants. Cause I look at them as friends and I look at plants as people and, you know, uh, as someone you can hone a relationship with. So excuse me if I always call them allies, but um, yeah, great ally for that. So, and the, the bark is typically used of the willow, but the leaves can 
can also be used too. And there's an astringency to both of those. Um, you know, one of the things that's really cool that I actually just learned when I was preparing for this is that willow leaf uh, foot baths are sometimes used for mothers and it's actually a way to help initiate them into motherhood. And I think that that probably goes back to perhaps what Emily was talking about with that contract they sign with, it's like you're bringing in life, but you're actually guaranteeing death in its own way. And I think the willow kind of has this initiatory sort of thing going on with that. Um, and also just really a nice ally to work with for intuitive and psychic work. Um, because I think you're working with that water element, you know, um, you're going inward, you're going to the underworld. And that's where a lot of these sorts of, um, psychic intuitive times really ramp up for a lot of people. Oh, is it, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. You can go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was curious because I have a lot of willow, but not a weeping one in my yard. And actually, I had to film a woman who is a she's a um, ethnobotanist. And she had in her yard done live weaving of willows to form this huge fence with this big archway to walk through. And her property it was amazing. So there's the fence theme again. But um, I was curious because I love looking at the willows back there and I did have a problem with roots in a pipe. So when you said that, I was giggling over here. But is it just the weeping one that you can use? Because No, actually, most all willows have the pain. They, all of them do. Some of them are stronger. Uh, most people know the white willow as like the strongest pain, the one that has the strongest pain relieving properties. That's the one I work with the most. Um, but all the willows do have the same quality. All of them contain the salicin that you can make into pain relieving medicine for sure. And I really love doing it as an, um, an infused oil. A tincture is great though, too. The tincture can be wonderful because for more acute pain, I find willow is wonderful for, um, a woman's monthly cycle as well. If you have painful cramping, willow is like kind of a bedside tincture for me during, uh, that, that five days, um, because you just never know, but it can kind of take the edge off of a lot of different types of ailments um and so yeah you can Real use quick all question of them. for the panel do you think cancer is struggles with flexibility like the sign um like struggles with it in terms of like because the water is flexible like they might have a hard time like they might have to work harder to be flexible I mean, physically flexible, maybe <laughs> Emily would have a good answer to that. But like, you know, um, they might be not always able to sort of <laughs> redirect themselves that easily. It's kind of my thinking that willow being a very flexible uh, plant. Interesting how it uh, seems to associate with cancer pretty powerfully, even in the mythology. Just a question for the panel. Do you think I, that cancer and people struggle to be physically or emotionally or, you know, flexible in general? It's not a fixed sign. It's a cardinal sign. So it does have that directed energy towards it. Um, so it's, it's not like it's going back, <laughs> you know, it's not going back like, uh, like a mutable sign would. So um, that's the only thing that comes to mind for me. 
That's an interesting question. Um, it's really funny. I'm a cancer, right? My birthday wasn't too long ago. And one time on Facebook years ago, I, for whatever reason, looked at everyone's birth dates and all of the cancers I did not get along with. I'm like, you're a bump on the log. You're not cool. I don't really care for you. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, is that what people think about me? You know, um, but one way I'm thinking about this is that I've heard that cancerian type people, because we're more so homebodies and we have this shell, we like things to be done a particular kind of way. And we like to kind of like adventure out and bring things into the home, bring things into our little nests, if you will, or your bedroom or whatever. And so I feel like that creates a certain kind of comfort that some cancers when outside of their comfort zone, don't really care for and don't really like. And so that's something to keep in mind. Perhaps this is kind of speaking towards what you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah, that that makes sense. I would second that sort of thing for sure. I would say, can I just say physically also for cancers? Um, so they'll be very flexible until they're not. So they will not be flexible on the thing that they've decided they're caring about and they're going for. Um, in the body, it sometimes manifests as um, certain things being constricted because certain things are too loose, right? So the non-engagement of a particular area through through the idea of comfort of nesting, of taking care of yourself, of going within, right? And then the the stiffening of the oppositional point. And so a lot of Cancerian people, they need to find that balance. And they'll, sometimes if you talk to someone with strong cancer, not just one or two things, but a bunch of cancer energy in it, um, in their chart, you'll see that they, they are like, soft and supple in certain areas and they are um, constricted tight or bound up in the opposing areas and they will have favored and like babied one piece of them and allowed the other side to get the work on which is very similar to the cancer capricorn spectrum right capricorn being energy of work and cancer being energy of nurture There's a there's a couple stories that come to mind. One is the uh, the fisherman who is out fishing one day, and he looks at the fisherman next to him. And he's got a bucket full of crabs there, and uh, one of the crabs is about to get out, and he's just like he's out on the bucket. He's like, "Hey, uh, buddy, you better watch that crab right there. He's gonna jump out." And he's like, "Hold on, just a second, just watch." And all the other crabs will pull that crab back down. They don't want that crab to get out. So there's. Uh, that comes to mind, and also the way the crabs move laterally. Um, I don't know if that's relevant to the question. But uh, going back to the willow, another uh, thing that comes to mind, too, for me is this, uh, and also returning to the idea of, like, tracking water. There's a Native American story about Coyote, the trickster, uh, always getting into trouble, always bringing, making the story move along, basically. And one day, um, I don't know, like a dung beetle, like a scarab, pushing the the something up the hill. I don't know what he was pushing up the hill, something that he stole probably. And um, he gets to the top of the hill and he trips over a, a log and he falls back down and he hits his head on a cottonwood tree, which is a member of the Salix genus. 
ah, and then he falls back and he keeps falling and he hits his head on a boom, on a um, on a poplar tree, another member of the Salix genus. And then he keeps rolling down the hill and boom, finally hits his head on a willow and then splash into the water. So what that story illustrates is that uh, there's three trees that are indicating the presence of water. And where you see willows, especially if you're on top of a hill or something like that, that's where you know, that's where the stream is down there. Especially Sometimes the canopy obscures it and you can't really see where that water is. But willow will grow by rushing water. It will grow by water. It likes to, uh, as, as Michelle was saying, it, 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 it has the, the, any of these plants that are in this genus Salix, they have this regenerating quality where they can fall over <clears throat> on account of their flowing nature and spring back up and grow back up. No other tree can fall down, gigantic tree can fall down with its roots exposed and live again. But the, the willow and the cottonwood and the, and the poplars can. And so with that in mind, you could take a little bit of the bark and you could put that into your cut flowers or you could put that into your rooting solution for your garden and get something to uh, bring its roots back as well. And I love that idea of the willow leaf bath for the tea or for, for your feet for the same reason, because you're kind of establishing new growth, new roots, especially as a mother. And that's, that's brilliant. It's beautiful. Yeah. Great points. Oh, I love that. I didn't think about the establishing roots through the feet, but yeah, that is brilliant. That's awesome. And one other thing that I thought of um, before we, to move on with willow is that uh on the underside of the willow leaf it's very silver silvery and and like has a whitish um, color to it which is usually an indication of uh, correspondence to the moon so mugwort is like that too that's like one of the ways you can identify mugwort but it is one of the ways you can identify a willow and if you're ever in an area where there are willow among other trees and the wind is is moving the leaves you can usually see that silvery flicker and it's an indication of a willow. And um, I always love that little like tidbit of beauty about the willow and the connection to the moon. There's definitely moon willow connections in the mythology too. So Hecate, first of all, underworld goddess of the Greeks, she's a moon oriented goddess and was symbolized with willow and then there's zeus's nurse who he was uh it's like a water nymph who raised him on mount ida and her name was either ide or helici or heliki which i think is uh, cool that her that word actually apparently is related to the willow the word for willow in greek uh, there's also Orpheus with willow branches on his underworld adventure. He carried them with him and Apollo's lyre was made of willow. Interestingly, that harps and willows were carved from will uh, harps and lyres were often carved from willow. And so, you know, it seems like this willow relating to Cancerian energy goes back pretty far because if cancer is related to like mother and nurture, and then now there's these priestesses that are using water magic and willow together in their witchcraft, and that their muse was Hel Heliki or Helisi, 
You know, it seems like that's definitely it's been a moon cancer mother magic thing to uh, use Willow for that type of thing for ages. What also interesting is that there's a ancient Greek city state called Heliki that was submerged by a tsunami a few hundred years before the birth of Christ. So those are all things in the mix when we're talking about Willow, since that word Heliki is a word related to Willow. I got, I got a Willow weave coming up. All right. The movie, I just thought of this, the movie Willow, the guy that plays Willow in that movie, uh, his name is Warwick Davis, Warwick Davis. And he has another fun little fact. He was in every single Star Wars movie. Do you know why? Because he plays R2-D2. <laughs> and R2-D2 is, uh, is like the lunar aspect to the Apollyon um, C-3PO, if you will. So I don't know. That just came to mind. I thought that was pretty cool since we're talking about Willow, the guy that, that we also know, the guy that we know as Willow in his masked form, in his uh, by night form, I guess you could say, is... Um, is the, is the moon little little moon archetype following doing his own little thing in, in the Star Wars show? <laughs> Never thought of C three PO that way, but he is a, a, a droid of eloquence, <laughs> so he fit right into the uh, the logos deities. I got that from Gabe's um, enneagram of the Star Wars that he presented on your show um, a while ago. That was in the that was in the membership hour. <laughs> I'm glad you got good stuff out of that. <laughs> That's a fun show. They all start to blur together. Let's move into the already aforementioned marshmallow. Cool. Nice. Haven't we talked marshmallow once before? I was wondering that. I was, I was thinking. Did we? I asked Michelle. Did we talk about marshmallow? All right. Here's where marshmallow yeah. would be relevant. Um, it's Venusian for sure. It's got those five petals. It's very soft. It's very watery. It's very delicate and beautiful. So maybe we talked about it in Taurus. It's also salty and it's got a salt, like mineral saltiness, sweetness to it that is diuretic and particularly um, enjoy. It really likes to go to the kidneys. So I was thinking maybe Venusian, maybe Libra. This would make a lot of sense. I think a lot of, um, I bet you a Culpepper, that guy who's, who's all about assigning herbs to uh, planetary bodies and everything like that. I bet you he's like making a really strong case for um, Venus and marshmallow. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll give that. I'll say it has both Venusian and lunar qualities. If we could only take that illustration of those leaves and flip them on the other side, we would see that soft argenta, that soft silvery moon blossomness that M Michelle was mentioning earlier that is present with Willow that's present with um, Artemisia's that um, come to mind. So that to me is a real strong signature for the moon. And of course it's got this white flower. It doesn't have much of a scent. It doesn't have much of a scent at all. And so Venusian herbs to me have this, have a beauty all around. They have a beauty, they have a beautiful uh, bloom. They have a beautiful feeling in the body. They make you feel yourself. But they also have a sense, a scent to them. And this one doesn't. So I'm like, oh, that, that's another one for the moon. And um, it's really, really, really 
mucilaginous, <laughs> mucilaginous plant. And so these mucilaginous plants, uh, watery plants for sure. Um, so that's why I think uh, marshmallow is a great one for cancer in the sign as well. Um, let's see. It would be blooming right about now. It has this uh, um, affinity for cancerian parts of the body, but really anywhere there's mucous membranes in the side of the nose, inside of the sinuses, the throat. I'm drinking it now so that I can talk um, inside of the lungs around the the lining of the gut in particular, bringing that stuff. Uh, it's like prebiotics. Whenever you're working with an herb that has a mucilage to it, you're, you're nourishing your gut flora. And uh, hydrating yourself constitutionally, hydrating yourself acutely. In the case of marshmallow, it's a great. Um, there's plants that are constitutional hydrationer. There's plants that are acute hydrationers in marshmallow, which has got a little bit of both because of its nourishing, uh, its sweet flavor, because of its salty flavor, because of its slimy mucilage, because of its uh, a lot of those reasons. So it's the root of marshmallow, and this happens because I, you don't know, I have an herb shop here in Milwaukee. And at least once every other week or something like that, some uh, it's usually the boyfriend who's just like walking around the herb shop, just like killing time. Uh, what's this? What's that? And then picks up the jar of bulk herbs that says marshmallow. That's a plant. Look at that. So a lot of people <laughs> don't know that marshmallow is a plant, but that's because we have this like, you know, this, this abomination that they sell now that has like all kinds of cr crazy crap in it and corn syrup and whatnot. But what started out as something similar, which was you took a marshmallow root, dried it, you powdered it, you uh, whipped it up with some water, maybe an egg white, um, maybe uh, a little bit of, you know, some sort of gelatinous gelatin or something like that. You either um, put it in the oven on a low temperature and bake them, or you just let it set, sit out and harden. And you can cut them up and you get these little confectionary things and the the purpose of them was to chew on them if you had a sore throat or if you had a, a tummy that was um not that was uh too hot um you had a, a constitution that was too hot and damp this would be um uh, there's a condition called monsoon diarrhea which is if you're like a hot person and you have uh there's a lot of dampness in the atmosphere this would be a really good mediator for that um, but yeah, that's what that's what marshmallows used to be. They used to be these little confectionery uh, herbal treats, and now they're now they're not. But um, nowadays, people are bringing them back. It's easy to find a recipe online to make your own old ye old fashioned marshmallow. Um, of course, I could go on and on. The whole part of the plant is medicinal. The leaf is less mucilaginous, and the the flower is too. But the root is very, very, very slimy, and um, the name Althea is interesting to me. I know that that's there's there's some Greek myths about that somewhere in there. It reminds me of Athena, and so that's another reason why I was thinking Venusian stuff too. But um, that's I don't know. Of course, marshmallow. I think it's just such a beautiful plant. It's such a great plant for just about anybody, um, and especially in the summertime, in the hot summer sun, where you're, you might feel a little parched and um, in need of this kind of like gooey water that just kind of soaks into your body over time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, this is great. My apologies if we did do marshmallow. I yeah. couldn't remember 100%. I didn't think we did, but maybe we did. 
But this lines up perfectly with the moon, in my opinion. You know, another thing with the marshmallow, uh, for anyone who's into herbal hair care, marshmallow is wonderful for your hair. You can even make like um, pseudo like gel uh, for your hair using flax and marshmallow. Really nourishing. You know, you're going to really restore it, bring moisture. It's going to protect the hair, too. So you can use powdered marshmallow root and, and um, you know, make yourself like a slurry, kind of like what, what Kyle is drinking. Um, but you can thicken it to the point if you use flax, because flax has that same mucilogenic property. Um, and those together make a really nice natural hair gel that is really, really safe and effective and all the beautiful things that come with herbal hair care. Althea. It's kind of like, you know, Al or El God and Theos God, <laughs> the God God. I don't know. That's in there, though. Yeah, I don't remember when we brought up Marshmallow, but it's definitely not ever bad to uh, revisit the qualities of it in the season where it's effective. Yep. If, if, I, if I did bring it up before, well, let me amend it. <laughs> I think it's more cancerian. <laughs> well, as the guy who could spend an hour talking about any one of these things by himself and not run out of steam, I'm sure we didn't cover even all the bases with it. Right. Well, one of my memories, too, of you, Kyle, is when you guys were in Italy. I feel like you did a video about marshmallow because I remember you were under the weather. You did a video. It's on your YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. And you just showed people like being able to just eat the leaf, you know, if you were having hoarseness or something like that, and it's going to create that mucilogenic property. I'm not sure if you remember that, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that was uh, something you did in Italy. It, it's a really common plant um, all, all around. And it's a, uh, this, this one is the, the marshmallow, but there's all kinds of Malvaceae plants and including the linden. Another one that this one looks like hibiscus. Hibiscus is another Malvaceae plant. And so hibiscus has very similar qualities. All of them do. They're all soothing, cooling. We're going to um, cool down cool down your hot, your, your hot body. Yep. Emily, you look like you want to jump in on, on something. No, I'm just so thrilled to be learning about marshmallow. I, I mean... I love it. There are a lot of traditional marshmallow makers, not a lot, but a fair number around these parts. And I remember um, having to review our hops and heritage festival in Oregon, which if you don't know, we used to be the hops growing capital of the world. And, and they were having like marshmallow demonstrations. And so that in a previous life, that was part of my job one year as I got to go to the hops and heritage festival and, I don't know what I did. Did I write a report or a grant? Who knows? But there were good marshmallows. So just stoked to be here. <laughs> we're happy to have you. Very yeah. good. This one's very magic. It It is. It's pure magic, in my opinion. This is one of the more magical uh, plants that actually we're lucky enough that Lunaria here grows really, really strongly around us. Um, we have a lot of it every single year in our backyard. 
And this is one of the types of plants that's self-sowing. So um, it produces seeds and the seed pods are actually where the name Lunaria comes from. Or sometimes it's known as moonwort um, because uh, if you actually just flip to the next slide really quick, we can go into that doctrine of signature. And so here you're looking at the seed pod of the Lunaria plant. And so a lot of times you see this in uh, dried flower arrangements at like craft shows or craft fairs or what have you, um, because it, it's something that once it's dried and you if you keep it nice and you don't toss it around a lot, it will stay like this for the foreseeable future. And so they're really gorgeous. And you can see I love this photo because it demonstrates kind of like the life cycle of the seed how you see the two that are in the front there kind of like a darker color and then they end up becoming more of that silvery moon-like color towards the end of their life before they're about to fall off um, and so if you have one money plant near you in your area you can bet that you'll have more and more and more each year which is one of the cool things about it which kind of goes along with the weave of abundance, you know? So we're talking about a money plant. And so you have all these, 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 they're seemingly like silver coins. And I've actually mistaken them for coins before, like being in the woods and then like walking and seeing one of these seeds and going, whoa, is that a coin? And then you look and, oh no, it's just a money plant seed. So, um, and Kyle was the one that brought to my attention that sometimes they're known as Pope's coins. And I think you were saying, Kyle, that isn't that traditional in Italy that they, that's where that came from? Yeah, they're called Medallia di Papa. Uh, ah. that's, that's the, yeah, the currency of the Pope, I guess you could say. Pope's coins. The medallion also is, is also the name. Yeah. Really cool. That's what, that's just the, uh, not the botanical name, but the common name we call it there. So then if you, uh, kind of go back to the other slide. I feel like there is the purple color. The, you can also find these in white. Sometimes the, the flowers can be like a more of a pink color than this purple. But I don't know. There's something also lunar about the color of the purple to me. Um, because I just feel like there's like a kind of a sunset sort of darker sort of purple, purpley nature, softness to a moon. Um, so I just, and I think it's just so beautiful. It's captivating too. Um, and the, um, the stems here, if you look at it, you can see that there's like purple, kind of like purplish red color in there, which can sometimes indicate, as we've talked about before, that it could be helpful for moving like stagnation, maybe stagnant blood. This is a mustard family plant. Um, and so there is, um, movement that comes from that. Um, even the seed pods themselves can be eaten when they're actually green because the first stage of the seed pod, it'll turn green. Then it'll turn that kind of other darker color and then the silver color. But when the seed pods are fresh, you can eat the seeds, the actual pod itself. You can eat the leaves and you can also eat the flowers. So this plant is entirely edible as well, um, which is really nice. And it has a mustard sort of spicy flavor to it. 
Um, I also think of like transformation when I think of this plant because of the element of money and currency and the movement. Um, and I know that uh, Mario and I were talking about how, you know, mercury is also associated with money. Um, but I can't not think of Mooney, you know, like Moon Day. Um, and so this plant just really has a lot of that energy there. Going back to the mucilage, um, the seeds, actually, um, if you were to pull apart those pods, there are the seeds inside of there and you can use the seeds as medicine. So the meta, the uh, seeds, like we we're talking about, if you activate those with water, you put them in the water, you make a tea or something like that, you are going to get a mucilogenic liquid that you can use for your skin. This one is really great for inflammation. So kind of that cancerian nature of the outer shell, protecting the outer shell with the mucilage of the Lunaria plant seeds. And you can actually make like poultices with it. You can powder the seeds um, and you can use it in that way. I also just recently learned too that there's like an oil that's actually secreted from the seed once once water hits it as well. So there's just a, more of that water energy of, Water being the activator for a lot of the herbs that we're talking about or water being the thing that draws something out of them. Um, just like with the linden, it's like, OK, it's going to calm you to the point where you're going to be able to maybe uh, draw something out of yourself that's been, you know, sitting on you heavily. And um, I always notice, too, uh, the heart shaped leaf of the Lunaria plant. And to me, it brings up. Like that there's an element of emotional support again, you know, something that it's one of the first uh, flowers that comes up in the spring. So there's like that that spark of beauty after a long winter. And then you see this beautiful heart shaped leaf. So it's almost like kind of encouraging you to get your emotional juices flowing, allow things to breathe, allow things to flow a little more. Um, and. Yeah, that's Lunaria. I, I feel like I could wax poetic on this one a little bit longer because <laughs> it's like I've had so many great connections with it. And also, too, um, for those uh, people out there who like to, um, you know, work with intention, which I think most of the people that hang out around all of our all of us are into that. Um, you know, this is a great plant to work with if you are wanting to encourage wealth to flow to you. You're wanting to work like in an, a kind of an abundance mindset. Maybe you're trying to. You know, at least for me, it took me a long time to actually start to understand the way that money actually wants you to work with it. And it wants to be exchanged. You know, it wants to move. It wants to it wants to flow. And so uh, I think that Lunaria could be a good plant for people to just, you know, work with if you're trying to learn the ways of that and, and be more comfortable with it. Because I think just a lot of people, I can speak for myself at points in my life where money kind of was scary to me because it was more because I was in a scarcity mindset. And so Lunaria is a plant that can help somebody get out of the scarcity mindset and to just realize that there's beauty. Like it can be a beautiful thing. It's okay to want to make money for yourself so that you can sustain or do the things you want to do because there's always a lot of stigma around oh down with capitalism and this and that i'm not a capitalist by any means but if you're working in the system that we live in you you end up realizing that you have to build a healthy relationship with money if you're going to want to you know move around and do the things and uh figure it out and have a healthy uh relationship with it you know 
the the analog here in the Midwest and uh, through the through the East is another uh, similar, very similar looking one, and it's called Dame's Rocket. Is the is the common name, and the botanical name is Hesperus matronalis. So there's the Hesperid is the garden of Hesperides, Hesperus matronalis, this mother like. Um, and it's very, it's another purple mustard, um, tall blooms around, uh, middle of June or so. And unlike the, um, the Pope's coin, it has the typical mustard seeds that are like pointing, I don't know, they they look more like antennas, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there for they call that one a aggressive invasive species. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So they say cut the mustard. That's what they say. <laughs> but yeah, something like that, an aggressive invasive, if you will. Definitely, you know, so much seed that it drops off, it does symbolize the idea of abundance of a windfall. You were talking about, Michelle, how water can activate certain things in these plant medicines. And I had just run over to the other room to get this hydrosol that I got from Kyle. It's rose and peony. So I don't know how you intend this to be used, but what I have discovered the use for this for myself to be is if I'm ever feeling like my eyes are starting to get a little burned out from (laughs) screens, you know, they're like literally drying and, and burned or tired from from this or like, you know, feeling like there's a little droop in the under the eyelids or just my like face tired, <laughs> that feeling. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. This this rose hydrosol that I got off of your site, man, I spray that on my face and I feel like I feel like I just woke up. You know, it's sort of the effect of splashing cold water on your face, but it's much more enjoyable and much more powerful. So it's a really good thing. Not really That's maybe fair. on topic, but a little advertisement for your shop. People go check out the hydrosols. Appreciate it. Yeah, I love distilling. I love that kind of stuff. Hey, would you do me a favor? Will you bring up an image of a peony bud? This will be this will just be a, a quick a quick little lesson for that. So peonies are also they're really cooling. They're they have um a strong relationship with ants. If anybody's ever grown peonies before, they know that there's like the ants are all over the unopened buds and especially the open buds too, but they have this motherly like relationship with them because they're tending the, the peonies. They're not letting other invader insects on. They're always busy. So a lot of times people are like that are, that they, they don't know. They're like, I don't want these ants around, but they're really specific to the peonies. They are working with the nectar. They're, they have this protective quality. And uh, the peony bud has a, a signature for the fontanelles in the head. It's really helpful for tightening up the head. So if you ever feel like your head is just, well, it's coming loose, you got a little headache, or you got a little too much tension or something like that. So it goes really, really well together with the rose for basically what you were describing. But it also has a little bit more of that motherly, um, smotherly feeling that the peonies have. They're just so big and abundant as well. And they're very cooling. So uh, back to the Lunaria. Thanks for the little peony lesson. That's great. But on the Lunaria, the only things I really found about it that were interesting when I was looking into it today was that it's said to be the 
food over the cow, Io, or Yo. So Zeus had his whole affair, one of many, with Io and turns her into a cow instead of her original form as a nymph to try to hide her from the jealous Hera and to give her something good to eat while she's stuck as a cow for the rest of eternity. He created the Lunaria annua plant. And I think it's kind of funny. I don't know if this was, if it's related, but in terms of the magical qualities, uh, in addition to the movement and the currency elements, I was finding a lot of folklore about it having to do with honesty, that it like helps you be honest or helps you tell the truth. So that's the opposite of what Zeus was doing with Io. I think that's funny. That's another name for it. It is, yeah. Yep. It totally is. Thank you for that point. Uh, Honesty. It's usually sometimes known as honesty plant. That's another uh, name for it. So great point, Chance. We were we were also waving about I O E O and um, and the cow being turned into the cow for the uh, Taurus episode because I brought forward the violet which also was said to be like the snack that pacified this cow that was getting stung by the Mosca constellation. And what's really similar between these two is that they have, when it's in its basal, this has got like a, it's flower, it's flower shaped leaves, but when it's got its basal shaped leaves that are closer to the ground, they, they look really similar to the violet leaves, which are heart shaped. So I think that maybe that story is kind of encapsulating this, uh, shape that heart shape itself, and um, how we see that on the Empress card, that heart shaped emblem as well. I don't know. That's just what that made me think of that. You bringing that up again? Oh, I love this one. Hello, hello, Vera. Hello there. Aloha. Haha. <laughs> Get it? Aloha. Um, even marshmallow. Um, that's really, I just thought that was pretty funny. But why does um, allo, hello, hello, allo, aloha, they all sound like this plant. And then um, aloe vera, um, vera means true in Latin. Um, Barbadensis. <coughs> Sorry about that, my dog. Stoked about aloe, I get it. Okay. Barbadensis, that means beard. Little spikes of the beard. It's okay. Oh, there's a there's a skunk going on. Um sorry about that. He's got a beard protecto boy. Um so but the word aloe is a Latin word, or sorry, is an Islamic word. So that's pretty interesting. I, I don't really know much about that. Or um yes, that's Diddley, my dog Diddley. Um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting though, that we don't normally have a lot of plants associated with um, the, the first names having an association with like Islam. Sorry about that. Um, all right. So we have aloe, which is, we all know aloe. It's uh, the time of year to put some aloe on your sunburn. It's the time of year to put some aloe on the firework burn. It's the time of year to put some aloe in, uh, in your just on your hot, hot skin. And that's because it has this structured water inside of it too. Very, very, very structured mucilage. There's a couple of ways of uh, acquiring that. 
And uh, I'll just tell you right right away, if you have an aloe plant, it's, it's really easy to just take a, a leaf off the aloe and fillet it. So what you're going to do is kind of like chop the head off as if you were chopping off a head of a fish, if you're fishing or something like that, if you've ever done that. You can picture this, right? You chop off the, the apex of the spike and then you chop off the bottom. And what you want to do is bleed out this there's these bitter qualities to them. These bitter qualities are anthraquinones and they are laxatives. They're purgative. So the, the outer shell or this like crab-like outer sh- shell structure is, uh, I wouldn't say toxic. It's medicinal in its own way, but its medicine is that it is purgative and it makes you stay home. <laughs> uh, and, it looks like uh, crab legs kind of. It does, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> No, it's like what came first, the crab or the um, constellation um, or the plant. That's funny how they're all kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's fun to see these things. But anyway, after you bleed out that, uh, you put it into a, a glass of water or something like that. You break, bleed out the, the yellow sap and then you just cut it in half. And now you have, you just can scoop out the, the meat as if it were like a watermelon um, and you're trying to scoop it away from the rind, except it's crab legs. Yeah. Yeah, it's like crab legs, right? You don't eat the crab. You don't grind up the crab. You break it. You have to open it up and slurp it out or whatever. I've never done that. It doesn't sound appetizing to me, but I know there's people that do. That's what they do. And so, um, but anyway, so that's how you get it out. You get the slimy goo out. And in the Ayurvedic tradition, this plant is called kumari, which is a Sanskrit word that means maiden. Um, and it has, it's, it's highly revered in the, in the Ayurvedic tradition because it is a plant that can reduce or pacify all three of the doshas. It helps, it helps the air in the space element by uh, hydrating it. It helps the fiery element by, um, cooling it down. And it helps the, uh, earth element by giving it a little bit of fiber support to move things along. And then also in the Ayurvedic tradition, there's, uh, there's seven tissues of the body. There's the, um, there's the plasma and the blood and the, the muscle, the fat, the bones, the nervous system, and the uh, reproductive fluid in that order. And everything gets nourished in that order. When you eat something, it first nourishes the, the plasma, the blood, and then it goes on to the, to the blood and whatnot. And there's herbs that will pacify one of those or two of those or three of those or certain orders. This one, it gets them all. It pacifies and helps out all of these parts of the body. So because of that, we'll find information about how aloe is really helpful for um, as an aphrodisiac. Well, how could that be? Well, because it's nourishing the, the, the datu or the reproductive fluid. It's, it's nourishing the tissues of the, of the reproductive state. In fact, it's, uh, it's slimy, is it not? Slipper, slipperizing the insides. Um, this is a plant that is, uh, Anti-parasitic, but also has a, um, uh, a microbiome balancing aspect. So that would be really helpful topically if we're talking about like reproductive organs as well, uh, like vaginal things like that. Um, and then, yeah, it's a it's a, a herb that is just very cleansing on the inside of the body, very cooling. Worked with this herb for a couple of cases of people that had. I didn't realize it at the time, but they had a. Uh, they had some internal bleeding, and I was told afterwards that uh, the, the aloe that they consumed was something that put an end to that. So that was really, really interesting. I wouldn't have recommended that on on my account because I, it's just a little out of my wheelhouse or whatever. But um, so I think that's really interesting to know. 
whenever there's whenever there's some internal distress, we can always work with something like aloe, which will be very very fortifying. To me. I wonder if that would apply to like hernias and things. Uh, uh, well, maybe a couple. It depends on where the hernia is, but if it's a liver hernia, then I think or, or like uh, if somebody's got like a real strong one of these lines right here in their face, this is a liver line. Um, I would recommend aloe for that for sure. Hiatal hernia. That's related to the diaphragm and uh, cancer parts of the of the body too. What about y'all? You've been using aloe before? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, I was so glad to see that you chose aloe because Mario actually brought up aloe would be a great one for the stream because of just because of everything that Kyle just mentioned. Um, but aloe has been a really uh, great plant for me because I typically, I, I mean, I, especially when I was younger, I used to sunburn really badly. And so aloe would always just be like the first thing that I would go, go to. And it's really just soothing and relieving. And so to me, it's so cancerian um, just looking at it. Uh, I love it. So yeah, love aloe very much. Yeah, even chance what you said uh, regarding what kind of look like saw teeth or the, uh, you know, looks like a crab's claw or whatever. It's interesting that uh, there's this whole sort of weave with uh, the crab having sawtooth claws and being associated actually with carpentry of all things, um, which is really interesting because in the wizard of Oz, my correspondence for cancer is the tin man. And he was a woodsman. He had his ax with him and everything else. And so um, that's just something that this kind of reminds me of a little bit. And there's a few kind of Christ like connections with cancer as well. I would say, and Jupiter being exalted in cancer, I think kind of lends itself to that and him being a carpenter obviously is kind of what I'm getting around to, but uh very good point there. Jesus was embalmed with aloe in the oh, Bible. Dang. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Yep. Myrrh and aloe, uh, specifically a hundred pounds of it, which is quite a lot before they wrapped the body in linens. Yeah. If, uh, back to hair care, you can put some aloe in your hair. If you have like fuzzy hair, uh, it's really helpful for that. But also, if you have dandruff, throw a little aloe on there. That's great. Um, it's just for, like, if you have dry skin, eczema, psoriasis, try aloe first. I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of fun tricks and balms and all these things that, that you know, that I make, that Michelle makes, that a lot of people make. But just try some regular old aloe. You can get yourself a plant at the store and just cut it up and do the preparation, like I mentioned, and scoop out the inside and... <laughs> it's amazing for for the the results that you can get for eczema and psoriasis and dandruff and all kinds of things like that. Just a little bit of aloe, fantastic. I agree, uh, and you know I love aloe too. I like to make use aloe juice. You know, you can have the aloe vera gel, um, but then they also make like kind of the drinkable aloe, so it's more like water, um, and you can use that to make. Uh, you know, face creams, body creams, uh, because you can blend it in to oils. Uh, and that's wonderful. The other thing I like to pair aloe with actually is DMSO. So if you're familiar with working with DMSO, uh, just a you know, little uh, warning for people who aren't familiar with it. Just do your research on it first. 
Amanda Vollmer is like a go-to, obviously, for a lot of people, uh, just because you have to be careful with it. But um, in terms of being able to bring the nourishment into your skin really deeply, very quickly, uh, aloe and DMSO are a match made in heaven. Uh, and then just from personal experience using it, um, you know, I'll take uh, aloe, DMSO, and rose water and use that as a, like a facial um, night, night treatment. And then same thing with uh, the scalp care, you know, mixing the aloe and DMSO and you can put that on your scalp. And that is some awesome stuff. I do the exact same thing. I will almost, I do Amanda's DMSO, uh, a lunaria sized drop of, of, uh, aloe and a couple two couple two tree drops of iodine. And I use that as a base cleanser almost every day. So yeah. nice <laughs> speaking one. of the aloe hair care, the ancient Greeks allegedly believed it would cure baldness. Huh. That's when you start looking into the antiquity antiquity of aloe use, it's been just about every claim imaginable been applied to it in terms of what it can do. So that's kind of interesting to people if they want to look into that. My favorite was that. Alexander the Great supposedly kept aloe in wagons or carts where it could be planted there and transported so that it would stay alive and stay fresh as a medicine for healing soldiers' wounds in battle. If there was such a such a person <laughs> as Alexander the Great, I don't know. I'm jury's out on that for me. Yeah, it's it's really it really is amazing. There's a difference between aloe gel and the and the plant. The plant, or I'm sorry, the gel that you might find in the stores is, is uh is the juice that's been pasteurized and you know what all all the stuff that they do when they take away the vitality and the wonderful nutrients within the plant and then they pasteurize it and then they got to add some preservatives and whatnot to keep it so it stays this weird color green on the shelf. So. Um, there's a lot of aloe puns going on in the chat right now. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. The Allocinian mysteries. <laughs> Good one. Now I got some Borkin dogs. Great. Where uh, anyone else want to have some dogs say hi? I know you've got one, Emily, right? I know. Did you hear him um, chowing down on a fly before? Let's see if I can. He's it's hot today. Wally. <laughs> oh, he's alive. Aw, nice. <laughs> hey buddy. <laughs> he's like, I've been napping all day. It's ninety-five degrees. Well, uh, it's appropriate. You always see two dogs on the moon card, right? Ooh, good point. <laughs> nice. We almost got a spit take. <laughs> yeah, the dog's dog like, don't forget. <laughs> I know a dog and a wolf. It's the symbol of the evolution of our soul when we sleep. That's basically what Wally is to me. <laughs> All righty. So here we are with coconut. This, uh, I have to. Water. Nice. So actually, uh, Mario uh, brought this one up to me that it would be a good one. So. Thank you, bub, because it. it's perfect. As soon as he said it, I was like, yes, that makes so much sense. Let's talk about coconut. Um, you know, I love coconut. Not everybody loves coconut, but I find it to be pleasant on so many levels. 
the scent, the taste, the uh, feeling of the oil, how nourishing it is. Um, and it's beautiful and it grows in a lot of beautiful areas in the tropics. Uh, and, you know, it is uh, known as the tree of life to a lot of Pacific Islanders because, you know, this this tree almost and pretty much every part can be used for something, you know, whether it's going to be food or it's going to be shelter or a tool or what have you, you know, that is how they look at this tree because it's, it's so valuable. Um, and trees typically kind of, you know, obviously the tree of life, but you know, a lot of trees are like that where there's so many uses for almost every single tree that, you know, you can't deny that it is like a central part of so many people's lives and has been forever and always will be. So I love that, you know, there's the hard exterior of the actual like coconut itself. And then when you crack that open, especially when it's a young coconut, it's going to be like soft and they're in watery. And even if it's a mature coconut, which is the brown coconut, you know, the, the color of the flesh, there's like a softness to it. There's a freshness to coconut, um, which I feel like you get that fresh water sort of feeling from it for sure. I love coconut oil as just on its own as a moisturizer. I, for years, that's all I used. It was just straight organic, unrefined coconut oil for pretty much everything. And that's kind of going back along to the tree of life thing because it's, it's so versatile. You can cook with it. You can bake with it. You can use it for beauty. You can use it for hair. You can use it to clear up certain infections on your skin. You can use it to stimulate digestion. A lot of people know it as um, an oil that has a lot of medium chain fatty acids in it. And so when you hear that, that's basically kind of meaning that it's a fat that it like burns quickly. So it can increase, not necessarily increase your metabolism or like make you lose weight. But the whole thing behind it is that the fat burns up faster than a lot of other fats do. So you have like less risk of it kind of like hanging around or whatever you want to say. But so a lot of times you'll see uh, coconut being used for a way to um, encourage weight loss if somebody's trying to do that. Or, you know, if you're fasting and you a great way to break a fast actually is to just eat coconut oil, you know, and then slowly assimilate yourself back to food. So starting off with like the unrefined coconut oil, and then moving on to broth. Um, and actually, if you are fasting and you're having a hard time or whatever, you can eat coconut oil and you can still stay in ketosis while you're fasting. So you won't break your fast, but what it can do is can actually just give you that extra boost that you might need to just you know, stay in the pocket with a fast. You can do that with coconut oil. Um, and so for a long time too, like I would start my morning off with coconut oil. I would get out of the shower. I would moisturize the coconut oil and I would just be like eating it <laughs> by the spoonful. And there's something very satisfying about it. A lot of people know it to be used as a, a means to do oil pulling. Um, in, in, you know, that's a great way to remove, um, kind of like anything that might be not so savory in the mouth. Um, another thing to um, AIDS digestion, as I said, but could help expel parasites, which I think is another reason why it's a really great pairing for fasting. Because a lot of times when you're fasting, that is your opportunity to kind of like dig deeper and to kind of maybe 
encourage movement in things that you might not be able to touch when you're still, um, you know, eating food. Uh, the fast will allow even parasites to kind of like come to the surface and then the coconut oil could help to expel that. And uh, another interesting thing I just learned uh, is that it's an antidote for um, uh, pesticide poisoning. Now, I can't confirm that because I haven't done it myself or whatever. But when I was doing research, that was one of the things that came up a couple of times, which I thought was interesting. So, again, going back to the detox kind of thing. And then when I think about tropics, warm, hot, you know, uh, lots of sweating, um, then I think of cancer and I think of water and I think of movement. So kind of interesting that that goes along with the coconut. And uh, it's also a diuretic. So the water, drinking the water can actually help stimulate more movement. Diuretic, we've talked about diuretics before, but for those who might not know, diuretic is just something that's going to stimulate urination. So it's going to start things to move. Uh, coffee is uh, a very well-known diuretic. So a lot of times you drink coffee. Whoa, I got to pee. Okay. And so coconut water isn't necessarily going to do that. It's not like a stimulant like coffee is. But if you were having some sort of, you know, discomfort with your bladder, maybe something's coming up, uh, you know, and you're not sure, I highly recommend just getting yourself some uh, nice uh, coconut water that is just pure coconut water. Because sometimes, too, there's like you always got to read your labels for sure, because a lot of times coconut uh, water, they'll like add sugar and stuff. Um, and some of my favorite tasting coconut water is the coconut water that comes from a young coconut. And a lot of times, too, it's like it's a little bit sweeter. Um, it, sometimes it turns pink. And I think that has something to do with like the antioxidants in it. I'm not 100 percent sure. But the difference between like a young coconut and the mature coconut is the flavor of the water and then the meat that's inside and the meat inside of a mature coconut uh, is actually how they get the coconut oil. Uh, and you can also make coconut milk. So you can make your own coconut milk by using the coconut meat. Um, and then with a young coconut, which is really fun, you can actually make coconut yogurt because that flesh is so um, soft. You can take that out and you can blend it and then you can add um, like you can even you can add your own probiotics or you can you could try and probably ferment it. I've never done the just like straight fermenting without the probiotics. But if you've never had fresh uh, coconut yogurt, whoo, if you like coconut, I highly recommend it. And just like look yourself up a recipe online. Um, and yeah, it's easy enough to just add probiotics like you can buy like a high quality probiotic pill and you can just add it to that meat and you let it sit overnight and it creates the most delicious fermented yogurt that I've ever had. So there's coconut. <laughs> I'd like to add if you have two halves of coconut and you bang them together, you're basically riding a horse. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I have tried this. <laughs> oh, you're muted there, Kyle. This is a great one, Michelle. Great. Uh, I love the signatures too. This the it's lunar inside. By the way, what is the moon? Is it a uh, is it a bull? Is it a ball? Sorry, guys. And the uh, the holes that are like the little. That are that are like uh, the 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 dents that are on the moon, right? Um, the crater also said to resemble sometimes like a face of a ghost. 
I was just Googling how many people die from a coconut falling on their head. I think there's a statistic from that. Let us know what you find out. And uh, I'll, I'll add that, you know, it's definitely a, a very spiritualized tree as far as symbolism goes in the east, the, far, the farther east, really. Like in India, the coconut is one of the gifts that is, uh, I think it's, Emily can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't uh, Vishnu bring the coconut tree for down to earth for Lakshmi? Ooh, I don't remember. I have some other thoughts about coconuts. I don't remember on that one. You're probably right, though. Lay lay them on us. Well, you just mentioned Googling how many people die from a coconut hitting them on the head. And I had this flashback memory because when I was in my 20s, um, my first job was teaching in a music conservatory in India for the for these music people. So at one point, the we worked with British people at a university in London, and then we were getting our school accredited through that school. And we had to fit the English like things that they needed. And one of the things they needed was a net under the coconut tree. The British people were like, we can't let the school like do this exchange program you're trying to set up if the coconut tree doesn't have the safety mechanism. And the people, um, there were like a couple people who were on this panel who were making these things. And they were like, coconuts don't fall on people's heads. <laughs> and you saw this sort of cu- cultural clash in sort of negotiating this where they both, both sides were kind of like, you just don't get it. <laughs> like, we need this. We need the net from the British people. And the other people were like, the net is stupid because the coconuts don't fall on on people's heads. And I still think about um, that coconut tree. But I thought it was interesting. And by the way, I'm an oil puller with coconut oil. So I loved that you brought that up. But um, when you brought up the pesticide poisoning, that's something, recently I learned something about that, which is pretty interesting, which is that, you know how a lot of people suddenly had celiac disease, which is that gluten sensitivity or intolerance? Um, And maybe 20 years ago, you didn't hear about it very much. I had met maybe one person with it. And then suddenly a lot of people had it. And one of the things that corresponds with the uptick in instances of celiac disease was the practice of using Roundup as a drying agent rather than just an insecticide around plants. So there were certain wheat companies that when they harvested the wheat, sprayed Roundup on it afterwards. And so there was a lot more pesticide chemicals in the wheat. And so, you you know, I heard that and I was like, well, our people... Do we really have celiac disease? Maybe. But do we, you know, is part of it maybe this? Because there are certain people you'll see, like, they can go to Europe and have bread, but they can't have bread in the U.S. or certain things like that. And so maybe coconut is the answer. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I love that. I've thought about that with the celiac stuff as well, because, you know, not to say that somebody couldn't have that, but I have wondered what is really going on with it. So that's interesting. And, um, you know, one other thing that I wanted to say about the coconut uh, for people uh, with pets, 
uh, cats and dogs, but specifically cats we have experience with. Um, they might, they love coconut oil. Our cat, rest in peace, Carl, he loved coconut oil and he always had a little jar, a little dish of coconut oil. And actually, as he got older, before he passed, he was eating it like, multiple times a day um, and everybody that would always come over would almost always comment on his coat on his fur and so it's just a really great um, thing to give your pets uh, for a lot of reasons you know same benefits that we get so the digestion as well um, you know but specifically for their coat so maybe uh, you know give that a try and you might never know if they like it but the way we found out that uh, Carl liked it was that I when I was using it as a moisturizer all the time, I would go to Mario's apartment and I would sit with Carl and he'd be like licking my hands. And he always would lick my hands. And I was like, why does he lick my hands? You know? And then it was like, oh my God, the coconut oil. And then we started giving him coconut oil. And it was like, okay, well, this dude just likes the coconut oil. It's not me. It's just the coconut oil. <laughs> I have a really good toothpaste i use that's coconut oil based and it also has like white charcoal like activated charcoal but it's white instead of what you normally find which is black so it's not like staining your sink <laughs> or if you get it on your clothes causing problems i really enjoy that so i basically just use more toothpaste than you would normally use brush my teeth with it and then just leave it there to oil pull with the toothpaste so it's kind of like a convenient Two in one. I have to remember the brand of that. It's really great, though. Coconut oil toothpaste. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Um, I'm noticing a lot of C words. So chariot, crab, claw, uh, the, the Hebrew letter het starts with a C. And then also crescent and then coconut. And now I just have to mention it. I'm like, did the C come from the crescent of the moon? Is that is a, is it a reference to the moon? You know, and so the moon is always changing and obviously it creates that crescent shape. And so I think a lot of the letters that we have take inspiration from what's going on, you know, out there. So it just makes me wonder um, if that's the case. So I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that. Well, the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet would be forgive my pronunciation again, sorry, Gemel, right? Which is the letter associated with the high priestess is the moon who would be the ruler of cancer. So I wonder, maybe you're onto something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. C and G do interchange. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice, nice. Cool. So that's what I wanted to put out there. And then uh, I just have a quick note here too. I just haven't mentioned it, but there's a lot of people a lot of traditions that basically suggest that the moon is like the first pit stop out of here, that uh, various ascension, um, you know, groups and like rituals and stuff like that. They say that if you're going to go through the cosmos, if you're going to visit the planets, if that's something you, you want to do, I've never done it myself, you know, but that the moon is like the first pit stop. It's like a gateway to other planets. And also when you return, it is the last gate here as well. And when you look at the moon card, you always have those towers, right? And uh, it implies a gateway. It implies a portal. It implies all of these different things. And so the moon for a very long time has basically been compared to some sort of doorway that way. So just wanted to put that out there as well. 
you know, I've one thing I found out was the uh, back to the <laughs> world axis symbolism. The Philippines considered the coconut tree the, the tree of life, and I think that India probably follows that sentiment. But in the Philippines, they use all parts of the coconut tree, which is interesting. In India, they call it the Kalpa Vrishka, the tree which provides all necessities, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And nice. you know, yeah, there's a, there's there is a very Cancerian thing about it in terms of like the womb metaphor and birth, because so theoretically coconuts can fall into the sea and get carried far away and you know journey into the unknown and then sprout a actual palm you know later on somewhere far 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 away. So that's another very cool thing about them. Yeah, dude, you know, chariot, charioteer wise, right? The ocean, the sea, the sea, the letter C, right? Yeah. So we got a caller, uh, video message call in, actually. It's not too long. There's two of them. So we got about a minute and a half from our friend Mick. I want to see what uh, he's throwing out there for our Cancerian plants. So have you guys ever heard of or tried mango steam? It is so good. Oh my God. I known about this fruit for like years and I just saw it in the grocery store last week and I spent like $50 on it and it was amazing. And like it's sweet and floral and kind of soapy almost. Yeah. So I saved all the hulls because I read that every part of it is medicinal and I made an infusion. So I made a tea out of it and it is very tart. Um, But wow, do I feel clean like inside. (laughs) Very awesome. Mangosteen. Cool name. Looks really crazy. Let me pull up this image here. Definitely has like a crab signature to it with how thick that rind is. Yeah, and like the like a meaty meaty inside too. Yeah. Very cool. Mango steam. Or like the it's like a Jewish mango. <laughs> back to your uh but back to your See, Gemmel weave. Dylan makes a good point that uh, G and C interchanging. G being the seventh letter, Cancer is seven in the tarot. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, exactly. Takes place uh, predominantly during the seventh month of the year. Yeah, hey guys, we made it to the end of our slides. Uh, how how we feeling? Oh, wait, no, there's this slide, too. <laughs> we just didn't show it while we were talking. So oh, it's all I, good. Yeah. I made an infusion this morning of uh, of linden, and um, it's also known as European lime. And we were drinking coconut water today. We put the lime in the coconut, and we drank them both up. <laughs> I just thought of that. So I, I can't believe I didn't think of that earlier. That would have been hilarious. Oh, yeah, linden is also called lime. Yeah, it's a lot. Yes, yeah, the lime. We started with lime and ended with coconut. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to go meet at the uh, 
go down to the the beach and hit the bar, I guess, after this. See you there. <laughs> That'd be yeah. awesome. I'd love to. <laughs> Pina. Pina coladas. Yeah, pina. That also that's the Spanish word for coconut, right? Which has got this symbol symbolism of Oh, that's a symbol. Oh, pineapple. Never mind. Yeah, sorry. Wrong, wrong plant. <laughs> All right. Well, this this feels good. I think we're at a good point to uh, make our way around and give some closing thoughts and let people know what we have coming up on our individual channels and services. So let's start with the uh, our pair to the top right. Awesome. Thank you, Chance, as always. Thank you, Emily and Kyle and Babe for being here as well. Thanks, everyone in the chat. Uh, always, uh, these are just such a joy to do because uh, I learn so much from them. I learn while I'm preparing, then I learn while I'm talking to all y'all, and it's really fun. So thank you so much. Um, cancer. I love cancer because I've learned so much about cancer from Mario, him being a cancer. So um, it's just it's really it's really fun to learn through. I feel like the people that we know who are the signs. Uh, it's very interesting to me. That's the way that I kind of relate with astrology. I always think of the people that I know who are a certain sign and then I can like take the correspondences, you know, wrap them over. And then I feel like it's just a really good way to get to know the signs better. So. This is really fun. Um, Michelle's Healing Home, uh, it, for any inquiries, uh, michelleshealinghome.com is my website. I have a podcast every Tuesday, which is called The Healing Home. I'm not going to be having a show this coming week because we're actually traveling, traveling down to Fresno for a wedding. But the following week on uh, July 18th, I'm very excited that I'm going to be talking to Dr. Elderberry. And uh, I, if Kyle, I know you know who she is. And I am so excited that she's down to talk. Um, she is a naturopathic doctor. She is a clinical herbalist. She uh, She's a practicing herbalist. She works a lot with homeopathy. Uh, she is on the level, people, and she understands how emotions play into our health and the ailments that we uh, go through. She understands that being in the victim mindset is actually really detrimental to your health. Um, I highly recommend following her on Instagram if you want to get to know her better um, and find out what she's doing. But uh, she's a lovely woman. I'm really excited to talk to her and then uh, we won't be having last Thursday this week because we'll be traveling but we'll be back with everybody the following Thursday yeah this was fun as always um, if you guys are interested in anything I have going on you can check out symbolicstudies.com uh, symbolic.studies on Instagram is another hub but uh, otherwise I've got a few things kind of cooking uh, behind the scenes uh, but nothing that I uh, want to announce just yet but uh, this was always or it's always a good time. It's a pleasure. So thank you, Chance. Thank you, Kyle. Emily, thank you for filling in for Gabe. Uh, I learned some things, some things I want to follow up with as per usual. But yeah, looking forward to the next one. Leo. Oh, yeah. Oh, the best one. <laughs> Guys, watch out. That's my ascendant. So once the sun gets to my first house, I'm going to be like really lively. <laughs> you might not be able to give me a shut up. I want to say thanks over to some people on the Rockfin side. Brayden, my man, Brayden Mosey, tipping $20. Thank you, dude. And Lisa Rose tipped $20 as well. Appreciate that very much. She says, thank you all for this Astro Herbalism gravy. Much love and appreciation. 
to Kyle and congratulations on the new baby chance. Well, not yet, but it's on the way. <laughs> Thank you, Scott and Lisa. Appreciate you guys a lot. So yes, uh, if you guys haven't heard, there is a baby on the way for me. Great time to show some extra support. Maybe if you're feeling it. So we appreciate that very much. And yeah, uh, Emily, what do you got going on? Baby and not just a nephew. I'm having my own baby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to have the same, roughly the same birthday as my nephew that was just born, which is pretty cool. It'll be just a year apart. That'll be great. Well, congratulations. Happy birthday, Mario. Gosh, it was great being here with you guys. Um, Maybe I'll just go and share what I got going on and say goodbye. I have a book. If anyone ever wants to read about Astro Yoga, you can read this book. It's on Amazon and other places. Barnes and Noble, I think. I don't know. But you can find it. It's on the internet. You just Google Astro Yoga for an Aquarian age. And if you don't know about Astro Yoga, I invite you to Google that too, because the internet has a lot of good information. Um, I'm in the process of launching um, something called the International School of Astro Yoga. So I already have astrology readings and memberships and courses. So if anybody wants to learn stuff or work with me in a one-on-one fashion or in a group setting, those are available on my website, emilyridout.com. And um, pretty soon we'll have even more things in the works. Some of the um, languages we've been translating the work into will be available and different things. So I, if you are curious about that, I have an email list. I send out a weekly forecast. I'm on the internet too. You can find me. And thanks for having me on. This was such a delight to like hear from herbalist people about your takes on it. I have a lot of good takeaways that I can go think about now. And Chance, it's always a pleasure to connect with you in this ether space um, and all y'all. I think you uh, need to go on Michelle's Healing Home. Because I second that. I was going to say something and I'm like, I'll just email her after the show. <laughs> yeah, you guys need to be in touch because also you're all Pacific Northwesterners. So you could like, be real life friends potentially. Where are you guys? We're like an hour east of Portland, but we were in Portland for like 12 years or something. Oh, So we're on the gorge. Yep. I'm, go- I'm going to Portland on Saturday. Ooh. Oh, nice. That's awesome. She actually yeah, you, she you brought you up earlier today to having you on the show, by the way. I did. <laughs> I, I totally did. So and I oh, was cool. like, oh, it'll be cool to like actually have conversation to, with you tonight to just, you know, get the feel and everything. So it'll be fun. You, I, I would love to have you on. Totally. Get, get email or call any way that you can. <laughs> I'll put my email in our chat. <laughs> awesome. I look forward to to that episode. Yeah, Michelle's podcast is totally crushing. And Emily, you're always welcome back. If you have something you want to talk about or just want to call in midway through an episode or something, you're definitely always welcome. And when you get that school launch, we'll make sure and do something to let everybody know. For sure. Yeah, I'd love to come back anytime you want to talk. It's always stimulating conversation here. Oh, yeah. Once we had you and Mario going on cancer and chariot symbolism in the first 45 minutes, I was like, oh, we just need to bring these two together more often. It's a you know, it's really good. 
Yeah, we could have riffed on the tarot for a while, I have a feeling. Deep dive. As we do on a mostly weekly basis. <laughs> hey, Kazi, thank you for the generous super chat. Appreciate that. Awesome. Very, very, very generous. Kyle, what's up with you? What you got coming up? Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having having this be a great host for all of this stuff. It's really nice to meet you, Emily. Really been uh, enjoying your work that you uh, put out for free. <laughs> Maybe one of these days I'll invest in some good stuff too. And, and the book, it looks excellent too. So I think that'll be the first thing. Um, but yeah, I really hope that um, since we're all talking about talking again, I hope that uh, we we have a, a venue once again where we can chat as well. It's been really nice to meet you. And Chance, uh, congratulations on the the baby. Of course, Serena and Davide and I adore you and and uh, Jennifer. So congratulations. And uh, find my stuff at tippycanoeherbs.com. I'm a medicine maker. I have a huge selection of herbs uh, and uh, medicinal herbs. And if you use the code INNERVERSE at checkout, you get a discount. And I kick that savings back to my man, Chance. So you're going to be supporting me. You're going to be supporting him. And uh, you'll be supporting some community-made medicine, uh, like uh, harvested uh, linden flowers from the ground after the storm. These types of things are these types of stories. I know about the medicine that we make. And then we got some classes and stuff online. I do all kinds of classes, long-term classes, short-term classes. You'll find them at tippycanoeherbs.com. And we have the, the Herb of the Week, which is a really fun podcast series. Uh, it's a buck an episode, 52 herbs, 52 uh, lessons, 52 weeks. You know, they're all about an hour long. And I think the fireworks going to start and the dog's going to start barking again. So I'll, I'll jump out. But thanks, y'all. It's, uh, and also thanks, Mario and Michelle, my, my old friends. Oh, one last uh, one last plug since the dog's quiet. Uh, I'm, re- I'm recently using some uh, soap that Michelle gifted me, some uh, uh, mugwort soap and it is the best soap ever i oh i'm kind of a soap nerd so it is fantastic above and beyond i feel very wild and sexy and fresh so (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you man i know what you said what did you say it makes you feel like a uh, fresh sexy wildling or something i was like yeah that's the best review ever (laughs) yeah Yeah, thank you I'm, i'm so glad you love it i really love that soap too so yeah it's great. Well, this I is love a near perfect soap. episode with the exception that we didn't get a jingle out of Kyle, but there's always next time. I did the lime and the coconut, but that's probably copyright. I'll come up with something. <laughs> okay, <laughs> make sure Leo. make sure you work on something Leo for Leo. Leo wants a performance. Yeah, you're gonna have to pull you're gonna have to pull me off the stage for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, it's been a good time hanging out. Uh, look forward to presenting an awesome interverse episode on Sunday. So watch out for that and we'll catch you all in the next one. Much love everybody.